0: When there's no more room in hell, the dead will start a
1: podcast. I am Montag, master of illusions. Your
2: eyes may see, but your mind may refuse to believe.
1: And they waited. They waited for the moment when she would allow the power of darkness to enter.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of No More Room in Hell. It's episode number 36. I'm Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you doing?
2: Greetings and salutations, worshippers of the old ones. I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How are you doing?
0: Pretty good. I was uh, watching... Uh, a uh, Twitch stream earlier from Necromandria, the Rue editor, and uh-huh. she threw she threw out, like, a contest just to, like, win a free issue of, I guess, the latest Rue I guess it's, like, a double-sized issue, and I won, so wow. I'll be getting a free issue of Rue so I guess I can call that a good day, right?
2: <laughs> Something we used to get free for all the time, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like the old oh, horror boxes,
0: yeah. Yeah, I used to subscribe to that, that Coffin box. It, it sucks because it didn't really last that long, but it was yeah. pretty good, I thought, for what you
2: probably the best it. one, yeah. I think, think so
0: because it. it was only bi-monthly too, if I remember correctly. Yeah.
2: Yep.
0: Cool. Yeah. So I should be getting that. The only story I know for sure that's in this one is they they do like a feature of uh the the cube remake that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if it's Jap- a Japanese remake or. Korean. It's, I, I'm pretty sure it's one of the two. And then I think there's a review of Prisoners of Ghostland
2: in there. Alright, alright. So. Stop, stop pimping, Lord. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So, also joining us, it's Derek. What's up,
3: Derek? Hello, Michael. How are you doing today? It's been a while since my arch
0: nemesis has questioned me. How are you doing today? Yeah, man. I, I think... It's been so long that we might have uh, done the uh, celluloid dissection. Was that before our last episode that we recorded this, or was that after? It's been so long.
3: Oh no, there was like a lot time. of there was a lot of craziness that day.
0: Yeah, it's man, it's like one more week of summer series roundtable prep, and then that's in the rearview mirror, and then I can start like going back to just watching movies because I want to watch movies. But yeah. It's, it's been uh, fulfilling having to watch 30 movies.
2: But, yeah, know, at least they're good movies, heard. though. It's not like we're picking the 30 worst movies of a decade. Oh, no, no
1: it's... it's That's the next summer series.
2: I've, I've yet to watch a bad movie in this series. Or should I say a movie that I didn't enjoy?
1: Yeah,
0: the quality of the movie is usually never the complaint. When I'm doing stuff for shows, it's more just the time. And when you start seeing, like or two hour plus running times and for me it's just fitting them in more than anything else because I've been holding on to the whaling only because of the running time I'm like alright I gotta find like that time that I can just sit there for oh man long. I watched I'm, that like but, six
2: times yeah, yeah I don't, I'm different when I see an Asian movie with a run time over two hours I, I get excited because I know I usually it's going to be great well yeah it's yeah, like I said, it's not really the quality.
0: It's just for me finding that block of time because I, you know, I've seen we're friends with so many people in just in the podcast community. That I'll, I've seen a lot of people that like will watch movies in, in like parts, and I that's not my preference. My preference is to try to no matter how short or long, well, short's not the issue, but no matter how long it is. To try to just watch it all in one sitting, just so it doesn't break, you know, any tension or anything. But we'll see. It all, tomorrow being Labor Day, and you know, I know not everybody has it off, but I do, so I'm gonna probably throw it on when I wake up tomorrow. Yeah, so. fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I had to say that because I know, you know, everyone doesn't automatically get it off. I've, I've worked jobs in the past where I had to work on it, so I just kind of been fortunate for a while that it's always been a day off but uh Derek you know you've kind of become the the go-to guy to recruit guests and uh you done it again you pulled it off i think this one might be the shortest notice pull you've gotten so far so uh, if you want to do the honors and introduce uh this episode's guest feel free
3: sure uh you if you listen to cinema attack i don't know how many listeners of this show actually listen to cinema attack we'll find out uh, after this recording but uh he's my co-host of cinema attack he's also uh goes by many nicknames like rick rude a podcaster and the donovan a podcast, which ironically enough we came up with a through episode of fresh cuts i think because uh, we talked about donovan on the scary stories to tell in the dark episode of that <laughs> uh but uh yeah, we call him plenty of different names. He does a great impression of Meatwad from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Uh, he's just a very chill, relaxed dude when you hear him. And you'll probably hear that during this recording. This is W Doubles. What's up, Dub?
4: Wow, amazing introduction, man. What's up, guys? Appreciate you having me. I think we've all podcast together on some facet. Uh, but, but appreciate you having me on this show. And definitely check out The Wailing Man uh definitely watch it
0: yeah i have pretty much heard nothing but good things about it and it's always been it's one Wait, that you've I never seen it before it. no i haven't i mean I, I know of it i mean it's just yeah. what i said like long running, time. yeah i mean it's not like i've never heard of it or i know it hasn't been around or i haven't heard plenty of people talk about it um but it's just one of those ones where it initially released and I was like, Oh, it's a long ass running time, let me you know, put it on put it on the back burner, file it away to where I can watch it, and then all of a sudden like, years go by and I haven't seen it. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, what better time I guess than for the summer series. Um. Yeah, so with that said, this episode's movies' main features were picked by Venom, so uh, Venom, why don't you let everyone know what we're going to be covering later?
2: All right, well, uh, a few episodes ago, Derek um, had an episode where he looked at a couple of films from the year of his birth. I was kind of running low on ideas for this episode, as I'm also really busy with the summer series. So I just decided to piggyback on Derek's idea, and we're going to look at a couple of maybe under-discussed horror films from my year of birth. Now, mind you folks, I am an old fart. I am definitely the elder statesman of this show. So we're going to be looking at some movies that hopefully at least most of you have heard of. And if you haven't, well, now you got some homework to go and check these two films out. Uh, Because uh, even though one of these was a first-time watch, they are both now officially two of my favorites from the year of my birth. And those two movies we'll be looking at are uh, The Dunwich Horror and The Wizard of Gore from the incomparable Herschel Gordon Lewis, writer, director, producer. He he didn't spread any of the blame he took all the fucking blame for the for his movies so yeah uh wizard of gore which is definitely an old-time favorite of mine not one of my favorite herschel gordon lewis movies necessarily but we'll get into that when we get into our feature reviews
0: Mm -hmm. cool yeah one of them was a first time watch for me i guess i'll let that be known once we actually start getting into those later um but hey, before that, we're going to catch up with anything we've been watching or playing. As usual, that's how we usually open the show. So, Venom, I'll kick it to you first. Uh, what's something you watched, played, read, whatever?
2: Um, Well, I might as well go with the latest thing that I watched. just watched it this past—last uh, night, actually. Um, As nothing opened in the theater this weekend that I really wanted to watch, I went ahead and spent a Saturday night at home and checked out a few films. And one of the ones I checked out is a brand new release on Shudder. It's called Superhost. Um, This stars... Uh, Well, to say it stars Barbara Crampton is a little bit of a misnomer. She has a fairly elaborate cameo in the film, but she's definitely not a star. Um, This is a film with really only four people in the entire film. It's a very small cast, isolated location. It is uh, basically an Airbnb situation. This couple who does a vlog for YouTube on all of their travels and different Airbnbs that they stay at uh, decide to stay at this particular spot that they've been on the waiting list for a very long time to get. And of course, once they get to the house um, as soon as they meet the owner, you know, hilarity ensues. Uh, Obviously we're watching a horror movie. So you kind of know where we're going with this. Um, I'm going to say, though, this film thoroughly upset me as I was watching it last night. (laughs) Um, First and foremost, the performance by our main actress and uh, uh, the character's name was Rebecca. But hold on. Let me I should have this page open anyway. I don't know. I don't already. Um, But uh, our our antagonist is um, a a character named Rebecca. Uh, She's played by Gracie Gillum and uh i got to rave about this woman's performance this is easily the best part of the film is her performance she plays crazy so well she reminded me of a young uh what's her name um from the craft balk feruza balk is that her name yeah 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 feruza yep. she reminded me of her big time with the big blue eyes the jet black hair and the big toothy grin i mean literally it was like a reincarnation um where i'm going to poo poo the film is in its storytelling. Um once again we have a story of multiple characters just making the wrong decision at every turn, just doing stupid things, not getting out of the house when they had an opportunity early on in the film, you know, as soon as it is very obvious that there's something wrong with this woman and then even towards the end of the film When they already know what this woman has done uh, to, say, other people in the area, they still have an opportunity to get out of the situation alive. But because of one of uh, the big mouths on the the two main characters, uh, you know, the killer ends up uh, going about her hobby. And uh, I'm going to leave it at that because um, I, I still think this is a movie that should be watched. But if we would have reviewed this on Fresh Cuts, you probably would have gotten another 15-minute rant on me going off on stupid characters making the stu- stupid decisions, just like my Greta rant and my uh, Black Christmas rant and whatever else. So. Um, this is a This is a pretty well made movie that suffers from some really really weak writing and just some insufferable characters that by the end of the film i 'm cheering for the killer like I hate these people so much because of their stupidity that I want to see them die as painfully as possible, and that should not happen. I should not be cheering for the killer. Um, Ultimately, I know a lot of people like to think that because we have favorite movie killers that we're quote unquote cheering for them. No, not at all. Uh, Just because I want to see good looking people die horribly in a horror movie doesn't mean that I'm cheering for the I'm never cheering for Jason Voorhees. I'm never cheering for Michael Myers. It's just the situation that we've been placed in as the movie viewer. So I enjoy it as it is. But Uh, When a movie has me cheering for the killer because all of the non-killer characters in the movie are just insipid morons, um, that's not a good look. So ultimately, I'll I'll say well-made movie, annoying characters, amazing performance by our uh, antagonist. Mike, I know you saw this one. What did you think of Superhost?
0: Yeah, so when I saw that you had seen it and kind of comments you did, I assumed you'd be bringing it up today. So... I decided hey I'll take like a ninety minute break from watching Summer Series stuff and check it out. And uh you know overall I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I, I thought the movie all was um okay. It I, I think it, it you know, the setup was pretty cool. I, I think it I think there's some sort of like influencers or, you know, whatever people wanna uh-huh. refer to themselves now. I think there is kind of like that built in distrust now because it's so silver oversaturated, saturated, saturated, <laughs> uh, with just, you know, you kind of, you kind of feel like there's some, um, well, how, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, uh, it's almost like a fake, fake facade. It's disingenuous yeah. what they're doing, like, you know, selling products, not, Bringing up the fact that, you know, they're being sponsored or paid, you know, just a lot of scummy stuff. And that's that's really just taken over from other industries into, you know, a new industry that's monetary based or motivated. So that kind of stuff comes up. So to set it up kind of with a couple influencers uh, or characters, you know, and how we kind of learn more about what's going on, how they're not the greatest in their business model either. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. I really loved the performance uh, by Gracie Gillum as Rebecca. I think this is pretty much her movie. Like without that performance, you know, I think this movie goes down a ton, Mm -hmm. but, and I totally agree about the fruizable comparison because when I was watching it too, I was like, man, she reminds me of someone and, perusal bulks like such an obvious uh answer to that i just couldn't think of it at the time but um i i also agree that uh man these main characters they they give even normal bad decision making a bad name because <laughs> it's like one of those things where you're like you could forgive maybe one or two choices but that one in like the third act where if they if they pretty much because fi- there is a point in the movie where they finally realize like something's too off here. Let's just leave. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's not, not that's not typical. Yeah. What's going to happen. And then they like totally undo that goodwill, like five minutes later with a follow up decision. And at that point when that happened in the movie, all I could think of was like what you wrote about it. I was like, ah, I bet this would have brought on an epic rant. Just this decision (laughs) alone, what they decided to do. I mean, I, I agree. Barbara Crampton, I'm sure her, like I didn't, look at the box art or anything to see where her name splash her her role small you could call it significant only because of what we find out later mm-hmm. about her character but she's definitely not like a lead or anything like that it's just like oh we it's just one of those things where hey it'll be cool if we can get barbara crampton in this because yeah. of who she is which is fine i mean she didn't that character didn't call for being a lead um or anything like that mm-hmm. but i do and do think at least they gave her a significant reason, like for that character to stick around and come back later, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, overall, not like a any type of top ten movie, but you know, for a ninety minute quick watch, it forget about it, it. It it was fine, not great, not horrible.
2: Yeah, I just yeah, I I can't overstate the terrible decision making in this movie. I I couldn't get over that once they realized what was happening and who. Um, Rebecca actually was, that they still continued to split up. Did you notice that? At every goddamn opportunity, they would split up. I'm like, listen, it's two against one. Why in a million years would you ever split up, especially this timid little woman and this timid little man, for that matter, because he wasn't, you know, uh, very manly. In, in one scene, he actually even, while with tears flowing through his eyes, actually states, I'm not a hero. I can't do this. So it's like knowing, knowing your weaknesses, why wouldn't you stay together? Why wouldn't you arm yourself? You know, um, just at no point do they defend themselves. Mind you, the killer in this movie is not a big, broad woman. She's short. She's not a large lady. I mean, you would think that a couple could defend themselves against this woman, but at every opportunity they choose not to defend themselves. And it's just to the point where I laughed when certain things happened. I don't want to really give away the ending. But, yeah, I just uh, – let's just say that this movie gave me the only satisfying ending it could have possibly given me. And yeah. so uh, I'll give it credit she, for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's definitely just like a normal – well, I guess as a, as a threat, like a normal unstable person, yeah. you would think like a couple could – withstand her if if it came down to it
2: yeah she didn't have like maniac strength by any stretch yeah she was crazy and then the line by the woman where she actually says oh she's crazy but she's no threat i'm like what i'm literally screaming at my television how the fuck are you gonna sit here and say she's no threat she's got homicide all over her eyes Her eyes literally scream homicide, you know, I just, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Just the two really shitty characters ended up ruining this movie for me. And on top of the fact that I'm like, yeah, this guy does not love this woman. He's constantly telling her to go do something on her own while he goes either outside of the house, which, again, seems like suicide to me. Um, Yeah, just the the bad decision after bad decision just absolutely ruined this movie. It's still very watchable, and there's going to be a lot of horror fans out there that maybe don't get as upset with characters making bad decisions as I do. And if you're one of those people, you may actually enjoy this film. So like I said, I still recommend the film. I still think it should be watched. But just be very warned that you're going to be dealing with incredibly vapid, moronic characters that can't even don't even really have a sense of self-preservation you know mm-hmm. so yeah that's yeah what you and
0: they, they they kind of went down the predictable road of like one one of them is pretty much obsessed with how many clicks their channel gets over everything else while the other one is slowly kind of coming to the senses of like yeah there's something more going on here that's a little more important than the popularity of our channel so that like adds like a conflict that You're like okay, but I I don't see how the other person wouldn't see something odd going either here. Like it's just too obvious that something's off. And, And like to your point, like you don't even have to like if it's one of us in the situation, you don't have to necessarily draw from her weirdness that oh she must be like a serial killer. But it's just weird enough to be like yeah I'm not comfortable out in the middle of nowhere with this person as our I, I don't I don't know if it's whatever fake a- Airbnb type situation it is. I don't I don't know if they actually refer to like the service in the movie, but that's basically like what they're yeah. m- modeling it after.
2: Exactly. Um, Derek or Dubby, have either of you guys had a chance to check out Superhost in the what, like two or three days since it's been out? No.
3: But I'm glad I listened to that Fresh Cuts episode you guys just did.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was just our general thoughts.
4: <laughs> <The
2: spoiler's nice. laughs> no I'm gonna check that out though yeah well, I'll check it out it's not a terrible movie it's just after a while the bad decisions just start to kind of wear on you and like I said by the third act I was cheering for the killer I'm like just kill these fucking people mm-hmm. please
0: <laughs> yeah I think I think the killer the actress who plays the killer is pretty much the best oh, right. it like it's one of the did you it, just spoil the movie no I meant to no, we just heard. the actress
1: yeah. You just said it was a female though.
0: <laughs> well, it's pretty obvious. I mean, it's not it's not like a twist I go, or Stop anything. talking. Oh you.
2: yeah, there's no mystery in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. there's no It's twist. so heavy-handed. I mean, oh, okay. literally from the first frame that the girl shows up on screen, you know there's something wrong with her. There is something dark behind those eyes. Literally the first frame of film that she's on. Uh, and the, and there's, yeah, like the whole time I'm thinking, man, I wonder if there's going to be a twist, blah, blah, blah. But nah, the movie's played very straightforward. No yeah, mystery, it, no twist. It, you'll know who the
0: killer is just when you go to shutter and go to click play because that's who's featured on, oh, the, yeah, it's on the poster. <laughs> you yeah, navigate to it with your eyes closed, uh, yeah. you're, you're probably going to.
2: On top of the know, fact, uh, it is literally a four person cast. There's literally four people in the entire movie. So I kind of get Yeah, confused.
0: I. But basically what my point was going to be, like, this movie itself might be one people forget about, like, you know, three, four yeah. years from now, but her role or that actress, I think you could, based on her performance, you might see her popping up in, like, better things yeah. down the road, you know, it's I, would cause love I think to she see was her. really
1: good.
2: Yeah, I would definitely love to see her as an antagonist again. She did a great job.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah, next up, Derek. If you got anything.
3: Of course I have shit. Come on, Michael. What the fuck do you think I come to this for? God damn it, Mike. The uh, first movie <laughs> I watched <laughs> is uh, the new film from Takashi Shimizu, Howling Village. Uh, Yeah, I was very curious on this because I know uh, uh, Dread Central actually said that they were releasing this down the line. Yeah, it starts with the Dread logo which I was like oh shit we're going to some good shit here. and pretty much this is about a young psychologist who uh, brother actually goes min- missing in uh, this haunted uh, location known as the Howling Village and she and a few other people go to investigate to try to find her brother and the thing I like about this it's classic Shimizu back at his finest uh if you've seen movies like shock labyrinth or uh things like that that he did with, you know using like that 3D technology bullshit uh that could, that's all gone it's straightforward this is very Juwan-esque in the sense of the style of the film and the effects of the film which i dig it has a lot of cool practicals in this that i was missing a lot of later day Shimizu films and it's just creepy as all fuck the, the, this is the last last time I ever felt like this kind of creepiness from one of his movies was reincarnation uh which was one of the eight films Ooh. to die for movies that came yeah. out you know so yeah this is back to Shimizu doing what he knows how to do best in the subgenre that he helped create and it's fucking awesome
1: Well, I'm <laughs> glad to hear
0: that because I was looking forward to tracking down a copy of it as soon as I saw like just the box art and then the trailer. Um, so I'm <laughs> glad that you're giving it a glowing review.
1: Yeah, I dug the hell out of it. But oh, are we going to save What's up? Oh, we yeah.
3: didn't, you, you went out. <laughs> I didn't hear you.
2: Oh, that's what <laughs> No, I was just gonna I was just saying that I I had seen that on the list of new releases a couple of weeks ago, and I thought about renting it because it was available for like five bucks on Vudu, but I just didn't get around to it. Yeah, that's where I rented it too, actually. Nice.
4: <laughs> Does it have a physical release yet?
3: Uh, it will probably down the line. I know you know Dread Central's been putting out a lot of their stuff on the you know the Blu-rays through Epic Pictures too. So it should have a physical down. I rented a dog because I couldn't
4: wait. New Shimizu, I'm in. Very nice. Um. All right.
0: Uh. W. Do you have anything you uh, watch that you want to bring up?
4: Well, uh, my most recent watch, um, it's kind of one that I've been really putting off for a while. Um, kind of heard some hop when it came out. Um, I just didn't know what to expect, honestly, on it. And it was Fear Street Part 1, 1994. So that's like the three-part adaption, of course. Uh, R.L. Stein and I'm a 90s kid, so that was one of those that hit a lot of nostalgia points, definitely, with a lot of 90s references in this movie in general. Uh, did a great job of the environment and stuff. Um, yeah, the generic kind of mm-hmm. teenager kind of predictable uh, character building just you know kids in a small town and there's this ancient evil basically this curse and it's the slasher curse um, I just really was surprised though early in the film it kind of dispelled my uh, doubts on this of the gore factor man the gore was pretty high on this one uh, really bloody little flick satisfying kills I was surprised with some of the people that did get killed in this one as well um, you know, overall, I had a fun time with this one, and I'm kind of intrigued to check out the, the rest of the trilogy. Bread Slicer.
1: Yeah, Bread man. Slicer! <laughs> <laughs> it's,
4: it's one I might have to revisit down the line, because it's like maybe my expectations were too low going into it. You know, it caused me to like it a little more than probably I should, but nonetheless, uh, I thought it was a good good time overall.
3: I'm yeah. probably the highest out of them on that one.
2: Um yeah a little bit i I had an issue with the soundtrack in nineteen ninety four just pop song after pop song after pop song yeah. it's it just it felt like the filmmaker was trying to be james Gunn. I don't know if you if everybody's familiar with james gunn's um uh movies, the way that yeah. he utilizes soundtrack and score it's absolutely masterful and it felt like these guys were trying to do it, but I don't think they really understood it. One scene in particular that really bothered me was early in the film when they're just kind of going around introducing everybody. And every time the camera changes to another couple making out in the hall, the song changes. And it started to get infuriating. Like literally in like a 30-second span, there's like five or six different 90s pop songs referenced. And it started to get almost too much. I'm like, Jesus Christ, they they spent a lot of money on licensing, and they're going to goddamn use these songs. So yeah. that was really my biggest complaint. Overall, I did enjoy the movie. I was ve- just like you, I was very surprised with the gore. Um for for kind of a quote unquote young adult horror movie, I thought that there was some real really good bits of tension. Um even some of the just the basic storylines I thought were very adult. The fact that they tackled a young lesbian couple in 1994, you know, at a time when maybe it wasn't as acceptable as it is now, I thought was uh you know really really cool and uh, a, you know, mm-hmm. a good choice by the filmmakers. Um, and I even like their performance ultimately. The two main girls I thought um, did a great job with the performances, and they continue those performances throughout the trilogy. Uh, I won't say too much, obviously, about the next two parts since Dubby hasn't seen them, but yeah. Um, ultimately that relationship really is the anchor of this trilogy. And, you know, despite it being a horror movie, there's some actually really good dramatic performances in there. And these are kids, these are child actors. So Mm -hmm. kudos to them. They, you know, definitely some good casting, great gore, blah, blah, blah. Um, I have issues with all three chapters, but I did overall enjoy all three. I would, I would definitely return to them if I ever had the opportunity or the time. Um, But they you could just tell that they're very skewed towards young adults, because especially when you're talking about seasoned, you know, hardcore horror fans like, you know, those of us on this show. Um, it it definitely has like a TV movie vibe to it because of the young cast and everything else. But that's not necessarily a bad thing either. I'm not necessarily putting the movie down. Um, You know, they put together three solid horror movies in quick uh, succession. So, you know, I'll give them their credit where credit's due. But, yeah, overall, I enjoyed the movies. I could definitely see how maybe if I was a little bit younger, I might have enjoyed them a little bit more. Uh, Mike uh, probably remembers that I had the most problems with 1978, even though 1978 is my favorite of the three movies. It's the one that I had the most problems with because I actually lived in 1978 and I actually went to summer camp in 1978. So, it's one of those things where I can tell the people who made this movie weren't around in 78. They were definitely around in 94 because the 94 aesthetic there is perfect. But in 78. Um, Mike made the comment when we reviewed it that it should have been called Fear Street 1982, and really it should have because that's what it felt like. I also went to summer camp in the early 80s, and it definitely felt more like that, the mannerisms, the way the kids were talking to each other and to the counselors, everything else. You could just tell that the person who made uh, 1978 probably wasn't around in 78, but it's a minor gripe ultimately, and I still really enjoyed all three movies.
0: Yeah, I think 78 was probably my favorite out of the three. I mean, I won't get into too much of it just because if you've only seen 94, don't want to spoil anything. But I think overall as a trilogy, it does work as one uh, concurrent story um, by the time it wraps up with the third one. And it looks like it's got enough, you know, positive reviews and reaction that there's consideration about, like, revisiting – Uh, You know, doing more for your street stuff, which will be interesting to see if they, you know, do trilogies every time or one-offs or how they plan to tackle it. Because, you know, it I would say it's not easy to uh, make one story through three movies, and they're all like a decent length long. I think, aren't they all three of them like nearly two hours, if not two hours? So, you know, a six-hour story sometimes is harder to pull off than like a ninety-minute or two hours. So. Um, I'd be interested to see, you know, if uh, Netflix decides to return to uh, just the Fear Street property down the line, you know, almost, you know, you could, I guess, make the argument of, like, doing some type of annual uh, Fear Street special or something like that, I think, based on the success of it.
3: Yeah, Fear Street for life, motherfuckers.
0: <laughs> and who knows, maybe we'd like, I don't know if the did they still make Fear Street books. Like yeah. still going or. Yeah. Okay. Surprisingly. Cause I was going to say, if not, then maybe, you know, the popular, uh, reaction to this could almost like restart them. But if they're already going, then you know, maybe it was sales.
3: Hardcore man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So that falls to me now. So I'll bring up one that I watched a while back, uh, This is another movie that dropped on Shudder. It was probably originally in consideration for Fresh Cuts, but uh, anyone that listens to that show knows that once theatrical movies start coming out, we tend to favor those just because, you know, we like to go to the theater to watch movies. So this movie came out, like, I think a week or two before we had like a month straight of theatrical releases to cover. Uh, so this one kind of just got pushed aside as did all VOD and, uh, that's vicious fun, which is on shutter. It's, um, a horror comedy, you know, basically without getting into the entire plot, basically the main character finds himself accidentally, uh, inside, I guess you could say trapped in uh, like a therapy session or a self-help group full of serial killers, which I'll, of course, he doesn't know that, that that they are serial killers when he gets in there, but it's kind of funny uh, how events unfold where he kind of becomes self-aware of like, holy shit, like these people are confessing to murders and stuff and – um, where it goes from there is pretty good. I was actually surprised how much I like this. This is the type of movie where you know after you kind of get through that first act setup, it can go either way. Either you know the story's going to remain interesting and get good kills, or it could just totally go off the rails. And you know, out, outlast it's welcome. But I actually thought it was a pretty good movie. Had a lot of fun time with it. It it was funny when it needed to be, gory when it needed to be. So overall, I you know i would recommend Vicious fun i haven't heard it talked about a lot either maybe it's just the timing of when it came out cuz to be honest shutter in the past month or two they added like a lot that it's like they add a lot of stuff all at once to where it's like you scroll through the feature and you feel like for someone that wants to keep up on like new re- newer releases it's like whoa i you just threw five new things on there when am i going to find the time for all this so this happened to be one that um, i threw on probably I'm thinking it was probably late at night. Just wanted something more lighter where, you know, um, you can laugh at. And since it was labeled horror comedy, I was like, all right, let's, let's hear to, you know, check it out. And, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Has anyone else on here even seen vicious fun? No,
2: I have not now. Damn it. Guys. (laughs) Hey, yeah. Well, I would recommend too many movies out. Yeah. Good stuff. out
3: to watch that
0: kind of bullshit. Mike. you know, (laughs) I mean it's good, man. I would say, you know, if for anyone I mean, I know obviously Venom does for sure, but uh anyone else that plans to put together um like a top ten list, just give it a shot. You know, I would say uh Is it, it end up on a Number top one. ten list? Probably not, but mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of people that do top tens, they don't only do the ten, right? They'll do honorable mentions or some people do top fifteens like at a later time. So I would say it's worth giving a shot just for that because, I mean, we're in September. I have feeling a feeling this is going to be one of those years, at least for me personally, where you get to December and you start looking at what you watch and you see all these gaps you need to fill in. Like, oh shit, I still have so much to watch before we're actually trying to make a list.
4: So,
1: if this Shut is one alone. of those, watch it. Mm-hmm.
4: So many originals yeah. and exclusives, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and the tricky thing too is like. I think a lot of people. What happens is they'll scroll on Shutter and they'll see 2020 as the date, but it's actually like a foreign movie that didn't have a release in 2020 over here. So some of those, depending on you know what your own personal rules are for that, or what podcast you're doing it for, some people it has to be like. Uh, 100% 2021 release but others like us we tend to say it had if if it wasn't like widely available to American audiences until 2021 then we'll make it qualified for this year's list so um, that's, that's the other thing about Shudder yeah when they get like a lot of the foreign movies it's like you watch them to consider for this year as well for us I mean
2: uh, alright Venom back to you All right. This is one that um, surprisingly took me a a couple of weeks to actually get to. And I say surprisingly because anybody who's been listening to me for a long time knows Friday the 13th is my favorite horror franchise. Jason Voorhees is, of course, my favorite movie killer. And over the last few years, we've had um, a surprising rise in Friday the 13th fan films, obviously, First and foremost, it's the Never Hike Alone series with Never Hike Alone and Never Hike Alone in the Snow or Never Hike in the Snow, whatever the actual title for that one was. And of course, um, for those who don't know, we will be getting two more um, Never Hike movies uh, in, the, in that franchise uh, from the same director, uh, Vincent DeSantis, uh, who also plays Jason in those films, by the way. Um, But the one I'm talking about today is the most recent Friday the 13th fan film to be released, and this one is called Jason Rising. It is brought to us by writers Robert Blanc, Maurice Caldwell, and look at that. Vincent Desanti actually has a writing credit here, and the movie is directed by James Sweet. It's actually um, done by Womp Stomp Films, which is the same company that does uh, the Never Hike Alone series, so uh vincent desanti's name being attached to this one's not that much of a surprise um this fan film though this is a weird one because this one kind of delves into the supernatural a little bit more than any other friday movie that we've seen yes i know we got jason goes to hell and you know him bouncing from body to body but this one definitely looks at the occult and supernatural elements a lot more than any friday film and I found myself almost being turned off by it because it is a Friday film. And I mean, yeah, we've got zombie Jason for every chapter after uh part six, but the supernatural factor here, like I, I don't even really want to talk about it. Cause it's a little bit of a spoiler. Um, uh, that may, but yeah, it, it's just one of those um, scenes, one of those set pieces that just leaves you scratching your head. Like what the fuck did I just watch? You know, are they trying to make this a psychological thriller and trying to have the viewer question the sanity of the people in the movie? Or are we actually seeing what I'm seeing? Like, is that actually happening? So um, anybody who's a Friday the 13th fan, I highly recommend the film. It is a very well-made film, maybe not quite quite as well-made as Never Hike Alone. Those movies for me are kind of the gold standard for Friday the 13th fan films right now. So um, if but if you're a fan of those, I still would highly recommend Jason Rising. And the other thing that I'll say without actually saying names is we do get the return of two um, alumni from the Friday the 13th franchise. I will not say what their names are because um, I don't watch trailers, as many of you know, and I was thoroughly surprised when I saw these two in the movie, like ear to ear grin surprised. So, yeah. That is Jason Rising Friday the 13th a fan film. It is available on YouTube right now, so check it out if you haven't. Um I'm assuming at least one of you has seen Jason Rising, correct?
0: No. Oh, I have not. Um, I've seen a couple I've seen a couple posts about it which kind of spoils I think one of the people that returns, which I won't say yeah. for the sake mm-hmm. of, you know, not spoiling anything for anybody, but uh, I haven't actually watched it yet.
2: I mean, it's only an hour long. It's exactly uh, 59 minutes. Um, It's a quick watch, obviously. Um, It's still an hour long, so I'm going to count it as a feature. It's good enough for me. And, um, you know, like I said, for uh, kind of a Kickstarter movie... I thought it was really well made. Like I said, it's only maybe half a step behind Never Hike Alone, both in the Jason design and the film, the camera work, cinematography, things like that. The kills are really cool, though, um, in this one. You know, a lot of them are off screen, but they still are pretty gnarly at times. Um, So, yeah, Jason Rising, check it out. You got no excuse not to watch it. It's only an hour long, and it's on YouTube. Go to it.
1: (laughs) Maybe.
0: <laughs> alright Derek
3: alright Michael I'm going to do my next review because Michael told me to
1: <laughs>
3: I love fuck with him so hard <laughs> but uh yeah I checked out this one came out a few years ago it's a documentary that I had for a while that I just didn't seem to check out and this is Memory, The Origins of Alien. Did you guys ever hear of this? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's an in-depth look on the like, creation of Alien, and, man, Dan O'Bannon, what a fucking crazy dude that guy was. <laughs> uh, very visual. Uh, I I, I kind of like that it went through, like, his thought process uh, with, you know, most of the majority of the beginning of the film is uh, him talking, uh, his widow talking about, like, you know dan you know working on like dark star and he was always had this idea and he actually uh had this like wrote this like subscript about like insects from earth there kind of did the same thing that the xenomorphs did before alien even came out and then you know it goes into like when he he shacked up with ronald Shushit, who was the co-writer of the alien screenplay and he's like i can't figure out what i want to do with like this and he's like and then Ronald wakes him up, just have the alien embed itself inside the guy's body, you know, like you know, I, I kinda like these stories and I kinda like the, the the people that he did get to talk on this documentary too. As they go into like some different aspects of what alien represents throughout the history of film and it kinda opened my eyes through a lot of things like you know, like Francis Bacon illustrations kinda influenced this, of course. Uh, Lovecraft they talk about a lot Uh, even like Greek mythology with the Furies they even mentioned that a few times during the documentary and it's kind of interesting in that aspect Uh, not really many cast members come back for this documentary the only ones that do is Veronica Cartwright and Tom Skerritt but it was cool to see them in it but it's a pretty good documentary it's from the same guy who did that uh, shower scene doc from uh, the Psycho documentary uh, uh, it was pretty good yeah I, I say check it out if you're a fan
2: of alien doesn't hurt do they get into um the creature actor who was inside the suit do they talk about him at all because i i know i i was always fascinated with that story that like he basically disappeared or something like no one knows where he is do they get into that at all uh i mean they might not have if they don't have any new information because it's been the same story for years that i know of anyway. That basically no one knows where that guy is. He just disappeared after the production of the movie.
4: Went out the cargo bay and was never seen. <laughs> yeah, he actually, he actually
3: shot
2: that guy into space. Oh, terrible! <laughs> but yeah, it was like an it was an African actor, if I remember correctly, a, a tall, thin, uh, you know, South African actor. Uh, I forget his name off the top of my head, but yeah, I just. I remember hearing that story years ago and then, like, doing some of my own research on it. And, I mean, granted, this was, like, over ten years ago. But I just wondered if they brought it up at all, if any new information had been found or whatever.
3: They might have. I might have had to go pee during that part, though. Does <laughs> that make sense? I forgot the pause.
2: <laughs> Either way, I love aliens, so I'll definitely be checking out that doc as soon as I can get my hands on it.
3: Yeah, it's a Legion M production, which means it was made by the fans. So.
2: Oh, nice, Legion M. Cool.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I have heard of it and I love A L N, so I definitely want to check that one out. Um, Dubby, you got anything else?
4: Uh yeah. Let's see. The the most recent thing I've watched on Shudder um was one that kinda intrigued me back in the day. I've seen this cover for years, but I never got around to actually checking it out. Um, and that was the conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um I think it was released by Accelerator Films. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of interesting, really take on the found footage. It's basically a, or a mockumentary, I guess per se in this aspect. But basically, these filmmakers are following a guy that's obsessed with conspiracy theories that's kind of became famous online, and they decide to interact with this guy and you know make a documentary about him, but you know, it kind of leads to this interesting secret society and really plays in a lot of real events. Of course, the September 11th and like there are a lot of real conspiracy theories out there. You know real quote in quotations, but you guys know what I mean? Like, uh, the beliefs that are out there. Um, and it basically plays into Illuminati being this secret society that, and it's kind of cool to how that, that turns out and is presented some kind of cool, creepy moments. Um, It was intriguing overall, man. Uh, I had some issues here and there with just the overall uh, characters and the 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 plot intertwines. It gets really muddy as far as dealing with all these conspiracy theories and you know because but you're going on false beliefs, so it gets a little far fetched maybe at points. But uh, overall, I enjoyed the film, man. I thought it was a cool found footage mockumentary, kind of really different uh, subject matter anyway for a horror film.
0: Hmm. It's called the conspiracy, you said.
4: Yeah, I have yeah. seen it.
3: It's the, one it the, it's the one with the the guy with the like the bowl mask. On head. The cover. Yeah. yeah, that's what mm. always intrigued
4: me. I was like, that looks like a weird ass movie, but I never, you know, actually sat down and watched it. But
3: <laughs> yeah, it's a, not it's what a I expected, me. really. Yeah, it's a me and Dave Z type of
1: movie.
3: <laughs> it's pretty good, Like, You should watch it after you watch the wheel final. Yeah, watch it after you watch the whaling. Finally,
0: I feel like after watching the whaling, anything is gonna be fun to watch because it probably won't be damn near three hours, and that's not like a bad thing. I mean, necessarily, it's just
3: you anti-timers.
2: (laughs) Anti-timers
0: are fucking killing fucking the movie genre.
2: That's why Mike doesn't like Marvel movies because they're all three hours.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There, there was a time earlier in my life where I actually seeked out longer-length longer, uh, longer length movies because I felt they were better at just but, building characters and story, but, you know.
3: This is Mike. Uh, should I buy the Shining 4K? No, it's two and a half
0: hours. Fuck that. <laughs> Get Terrifier instead. Uh, it's yeah. funny. I did I did buy the Shining 4K. I just haven't watched it yet because I haven't had time.
2: Saving it for
4: October. It's appointment huh? television, man
0: yeah and like the shining I mean that's a movie. It's like when I throw that on, I don't wanna be like distracted. I wanna be able to just sit there and just bask in it. you just um, just re-
3: reenact scenes with your kids like hey i'm never gonna i'm never, gonna, I'm never gonna hurt you, yeah, my daughter doesn't
0: wanna go to bed. I think she needs some correcting <laughs> um all right, next up for me, let's see. Um, I, well, I don't even know if I should bring up Green Knight because it's technically not horror. That's why we didn't do it on Fresh Cuts. Uh, I did really like it, but, yeah. and I know, Venom, you've seen it. Uh, I've, I've a seen good it.
2: movie, but obviously, because I'm such a fan of the original story, the original poem, the epic poem... Um, I'm a little disappointed with the movie, not from any filmmaking aspects from as far as filmmaking aspects. The movie is stellar. Cinematography is gorgeous. The effects are amazing. The performances are Oscar worthy. It's a great film. Like I said, the main issue that I have is just the fact that they change the story so drastically and then don't really give us an ending. Like the the, the epic poem has a very distinct ending and, and it's actually a moral tale. Whereas with the movie, I, not much of a spoiler, but the, the ending is very, very ambiguous. Like, you don't really know what happens to Sir Gwen when the whole thing is done, as opposed to the poem. So, like I said, I have some minor gripes with it, but they're more in the storytelling aspects than anything else. Otherwise, the movie really is great. It's a wonder to behold. It's it's very beautiful to look at. Uh, yeah. this
0: is the actual poem, or is that considered too much of a spoiler?
2: What's because that? I'm not overly should- I was going to say, how does the
0: actual poem end? Because I'm not overly familiar with the original source material, other than vaguely. But I don't know if you think that would be too much of a spoiler to um, talk about the poem. Well, so. not
2: really. It, but at the same time, I don't think it's going to make sense to anybody who hasn't seen the movie. So yeah. uh, I'll, I'll tell you uh, when we're off air. Because
0: it, it's oh, kind okay.
2: of a long story. <laughs> I
0: didn't find the ending to the movie necessarily ambiguous. Yeah. i thought well maybe it's just my interpretation i thought was pretty cut and dry but i could be wrong and it's just interpretive
2: no no no. your interpretation might be correct but i'm saying like the green knight actually does do something after that scene something quite epic and um they skip it completely and it, it actually really lays the groundwork for the moral core of the movie whereas they cha- like I said, without that ending, it kind of changes the context of the uh, whole poem as opposed to, you know, um, you know, like I said, with the poem having a very definitive ending with a very moral center wow. and the movie just being a little too overly ambiguous. Maybe not so much with Sir Gawain, but like I said, the dark, uh, the green night, the green night after the movie stops, there's still a whole scene left. And it's an incredibly important scene for the poem. So that that's my biggest complaint. But ultimately, I, I like I said, it's still a wonder to behold. It's a beautiful thing to look at. Um, I just don't know that I'll ever return to it. I'd rather just read the poem.
1: <laughs>
3: um, I don't know about that. I actually really enjoyed it. It's actually one of my favorite movies of the year.
1: Nice.
3: And this is going to somebody who actually watched the version with Sean Connery 400 times, where they <laughs> completely changed the story. Yeah. You know, so I, I I I this director is a bold director, like he made me love Peach Dragon, <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> made me cry to a dragon movie, you know. Uh but uh that's for another story and tale. Uh if you guys didn't know he's the guy who did the Peach Dragon remake, uh this mm-hmm. director. Uh yeah, I dug it a lot. Uh Ralph Ennison is the Green Knight. Perfect casting man. I'm like Damn, it's the dude from The Witch. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, I dug it a lot. Uh my dad didn't. My dad hated it. He's like this is fucking boring. Fuck this shit. Uh,
2: there's a lot there's actually a lot of A24 uh, alumni in this movie cuz you've got the dad and the mom from The Witch cuz the, the the mom plays the queen. Yeah. And then you've got you've got Joel Edgerton from uh It Comes at Night. So yeah, this is a very A two four movie. <laughs>
3: Sean Sean Harris is King Arthur. That's fucking awesome casting
2: yep. right there. Yeah, no, it's a great. Like I said, the performances legitimately are great. I don't I don't want to make it sound like this is not a good movie just because I didn't like the story changes. It, it's a beautiful film. Um, every <laughs> performance is amazing. Even people that only are in one scene, their performances are great. So yeah. It's a great movie. I would recommend it to everyone. It just, like I said, that ending just leaves me a little sour considering the ending of the poem.
3: Did you see that dub? I have not, man. You'll love it. It has a talking fox in it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And giant naked. That's
0: all it takes.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
4: that's my one criteria, man. man.
2: Talking foxes and giant More more
0: talking foxes in movies.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's. I mean, Venom. You actually took most of my thoughts. Like I, other than you know the story change. No, that's fine. I mean, more other than the story change critique because I don't. You know, I'm not overly familiar with the actual poem and source material itself. But as far as how the movie looks, the cinematography is beautiful. Um, it's you know, I appreciate the the journey the character went on. Kind of the ultimate decision that was made and I thought the performances were great uh, costume design amazing you know I, I think at the at the least for people that aren't you know I guess pained or don't think enough happens in the movie it's but highly you know if it's still playing in theaters anywhere I would highly advise seeing it in that grand presentation yeah. because if anything it's a behold just to look at like I think you'll appreciate um just went what went into the filming of the movie itself, like mm-hmm. even from the very start when I think it just, i think it like opens with like a shot on like a farm or something with you know animals in the, in kind of misty weather it just looks so good even with that opening mm-hmm. shot, and it just makes the colors of everyone's mm-hmm. outfits pop anytime a new character comes on screen it's just Man, it it looks really great, and uh, that's something hard to replicate at home.
3: Hell yeah, plus there's a Talking Fox show.
0: Yes, can't forget that. The Fox looks great. The Talking Fox looks great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so our final round of what we watched, Uh, we'll kick back to Venom now.
2: All right, Uh, the next movie I'll talk about is a. A little independent film that came out a couple of weeks ago. I was lucky enough to see it in the theater out here in L.A., though the movie kind of left me a little, I don't know, wanting more, which isn't always a bad thing, but I I think in this case it is. Uh, Right now I am talking about the latest film from Neil Blumkamp, the man who brought us Chappie and Elysium and, most importantly, District 9, one of my favorite films ever, Uh, This is his latest film, Demonic, Um, as the title says. It is uh, very much a demonic possession film. As far as the demonic possession part of it goes, it's fairly cut and dry, nothing too special. Now, what the movie does do different that I actually really, really enjoyed is that they kind of play with virtual reality in this. In the sense that um, in this movie, the woman who's being possessed is actually in a coma. She's catatonic. Um, so obviously she's not really much of a threat to anyone but the doctors know that there's something wrong with her they basically uh one of the one of the scientists at this research facility comes up with a program where almost like an inception type thing where you can actually send someone into the into the mind of another person so what they do is they get a hold of this woman's daughter uh the the woman who's possessed is an older woman and uh they get a hold of her daughter as it turns out the daughter and mother have a very estranged relationship they haven't spoken in almost 20 years since the mom went to prison um for i believe a homicide if i remember correctly and um or she started a fire that's what it was she started a fire that killed a bunch of people and they ended up sending her away for that um so anyway, um, the, the the effect of putting the daughter in the mother's mind is very video game like in the sense that um, any hardcore gamers that are listening right now, you're going to know what I'm talking about. But uh, everybody else might be a little clueless. Um, it looks like a poorly made video game in the sense that there's constant. um Uh, What do you call it? Breaking of collision. There's constant like graphics disappearing and reappearing. Sometimes you'll be able to see someone's face through the back of their head. Um, it, it's just a lot of glitching, you know, layers not being rendered. Obviously they do it on purpose for the film in a video game. It would be an accident when something doesn't get rendered properly in real time. So that to me was like the highlight of the film. It's just very different, very trippy being inside the mom's head, um, you know, with the daughter being in there and she can actually have a conversation with her mother for the first time. in, like I said, almost 20 years. And, uh, through them doing that, through through them putting the daughter in the mom's mind is when they all realize that mom isn't actually schizophrenic. She's possessed. There's something in her head that shouldn't be there that actually manifests in a physical form while they're in that kind of VR stage. So um overall the movie is okay, maybe above average I'd say it is Neil Blumkamp, who, you know, I'm a big fan of um like i said but when it comes to the actual demonic possession in this film it's pretty much been there done that you know nothing really too major what is really really cool is the reveal of who the people are that have possession of um the possessed woman uh the woman Mm -hmm. uh you know who's in a coma and who is possessed um i'm not going to that's the big reveal of the movie, so I'm obviously not going to get into that, but that I I actually really liked as well, who it turned out all these doctors and scientists actually are. So, like I said, I'm going to leave it at that and just say that if you are a hardcore fan of demonic possession, as I am, it is one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite subgenre, along with Supernatural, Um Then I would say, yeah, check out this movie. It's not going to change the world by any stretch, but at least it is a Neil Blumkamp movie. Um, It is above average as far as quality storytelling, filmmaking, all of that stuff. It's just there's a lot of been there, done that. And then it's just a matter of how much you take. The new stuff that they're doing, you know, like I said, the the Inception style of, uh, you know, um, performing an exorcism, blah, 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 trying to perform an exorcism while someone's catatonic, all those kind of things. So there are some new things that they tackle, but overall, it was kind of an underwhelming film. It's not bad. It just didn't really strike me as something, you know, up to Neil Blumkamp's general standards, especially considering the shorts that he does. I forget the name of his uh, film company, but those shorts that they do are so great. It's like, I'm looking for like an hour and a half version of some of those shorts. And instead, Neil gives me a fairly cut and copy, you know, demonic possession story, which like I said, has some original elements to it, but it's not really enough to save the movie. Unfortunately, the movie is currently sitting at a 4.2 on IMDb, which I still say that's way too low. The movie is definitely not a 4.2, but Um, I can also see why people are kind of underwhelmed with this movie, because like I said, it's this great director who's given us really cool original ideas in the past. But then he just kind of gives us this, you know, kind of copy and paste demonic possession story that is okay at best. So um, it should be available on VOD currently. Um, I saw it in theaters, what, like a week and a half ago out here in L.A., So if you can get a hold of it and you're a hardcore Demonic Possession fan, I would say it's worth seeing. Otherwise, you can skip it. Mike, did you get a chance to see Demonic yet? Nah, so for
0: Demonic, it was one of those situations where, you know, while while where you live, you probably got... I don't know, was it like a one-night or like a one-week type of release, or was it just pretty much out?
2: Yeah, it was out here for a couple of weeks, I'd say. Two weeks.
0: Okay, yeah. See, up here um we we got one of those things where it's like oh hey it's showing at friday at this time so you can either make it or not um that that tends to happen a lot you know outside of the major cities like either we don't get it at all just because you know we're outside major metropolitan or it's just very limited on um your choice of when you can go see it um and it's weird because sometimes that happens in advance but then like if, if it does business well enough in the big cities, they'll start like adding showings like mm-hmm. later on. But for this one, it doesn't look like that happened because there was another one. Um, I think we talked about it either. I don't think on the last episode of this, on, on one of the episodes of Fresh Cuts, when we were figuring out what we were going to do next, there was another movie like that, that um, it had been the trailer for it had been playing on like almost every movie we were seeing for Fresh Cuts and but it was I don't think it was like an uh, official Fathom event movie, but it was like, a, oh, when you look up the show tone oh, right. it's like, yeah, 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 it's playing on a Friday at this time. And that's just – it makes it kind of tough for me just with kids and mm-hmm. stuff to say you have to go at this time or you're not going to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, e- you know, even if they would say, OK, it's one day, but let's like play it all day and like, you know, throughout – that that would make it easier. But a lot of times it's like, nope, it's this day, this time, or else – you just gonna have to wait for VOD. So hmm. that's how it was with DeMonica up here.
3: Oh, huh, that's interesting trivia for this movie. Filmed secretly in Canada over the course of the COVID pandemic.
2: Um yeah, that seems about right because there's no scenes that have any more than like two or three people in them. So, it,
3: it, so that makes sense. It's probably a very low budget movie
2: then. Oh, definitely. I mean there's I mean other than like I said the the kind of VR effects that they that they do with the whole putting someone in uh, in the mom's mind, but um, even that, it's, it's purposely cheap-looking, like I said, which I liked. I, I kind of liked the way they did that. That was my favorite part of the movie was the sessions where they would send the daughter into the mom's mind, because it wasn't like all dark you know hell landscapes or anything it it was you know still very pretty it was just it was pixelated just enough that you knew you weren't in the real world but it wasn't so pixelated that it was like annoying or you know interrupting your viewing or whatever so yeah i I thought they did that well but otherwise you know been there done that yeah i'll check it out eventually yeah it's not a bad movie like i said it's just you know we've seen it (laughs) Yeah, i I lived it.
0: From yeah, from, what on I your saw, from what I saw uh, reception was pretty lukewarm on it.
2: Yeah, I feel I mean a Neil Blumkamp movie only has a four on IMDB, yeah. It's it's definitely not well received.
0: Mm. <laughs> um all right, Derek, what do you got up?
3: Uh I got the movie titled My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. Did you guys ever hear of
0: this one or seen it? No, it sounds like it's yellow or something. <laughs> what kind of no. movie is this?
3: I kind of want to say it because it will spoil the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is one I heard about because uh, we had Mark Ball on a cinema attack recently. And he kind of recommended this at the end of the show to us. Uh, it says it's kind of in the style of, Well, this might be a spoiler. It's in kind of the style of Martin and the Transfiguration. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, but mix would like let the right one in also
0: mm-hmm. two movies Lots I love two good movies yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah i I won't go too far into the plot it's it's about two siblings who are taking care of their sick brother. That's pretty much the gist of it it it, it kind of plays out kind of more like a drama in the beginning of the movie, but then, as the story goes on, it gets spirals a very slow-burn film, because you get a lot of setup with the brothers and, you know, the drama of the family and stuff like that. Then the mystery of what's actually going on sprinkles a little bit more and more as the movie goes on. Uh, Yeah, if you know any of those type of movies that I mentioned that this one's kind of like, then you kind of know what the story's going to turn into. <laughs> uh, we don't yeah, get too I... far into it, so I don't want to really Talk to the listeners, what kind of movie this is going into. It. But I dug it. It has uh, actually Patrick Fugit, who I haven't seen in a movie since Almost Famous, <laughs> plays one of the brothers in the movie. Uh, he's great in it. Owen Campbell, who plays one of the the other brothers, great. Uh, great cast and great performances throughout. It's a very low tier budget movie uh, because it's all like you know like this group of people in one setting type of deal. Uh, really good, really good stuff. Uh, slow burn though, so just go into that knowing that. But but I think the payoff will work for most people.
0: Cool. Uh, What year did this movie come out? Is it pretty new or modern? It's it's
3: 2021. Uh, Yeah, 2021. Oh, okay. I I think it played festivals last year because it says 2020, but it's official, like you know, like wide screen releases this year mm-hmm. you know it's like one of those type of dark sky films actually put it out
0: interesting uh can i get the title of it one more time
3: my heart can't beat unless you tell it to <laughs> i love
0: no, that's giallo man <laughs> yeah that's why i was that's why i was assuming like oh derek pulled like a giallo from the 70s he must have missed and <laughs> nope not a- all right uh Debbie, you got anything for our final round
4: Mine is one that's basically – I kind of got a cult following at this point. Um, I think it's technically 2021 due to the pandemic, but this is the man Nick Cage and, of course, Willie's Wonderland. Woo!
1: It's your birthday. It's your <laughs> yeah. We <birthday.
4: laughs> yeah, this up recently, man. I was, I was glad to finally check it out. It, it's bonkers. You You have your Drifter, played by Nick Cage, and he is recruited to become – a basically a janitor at this abandoned chucky e. cheese like place and basically shit starts going about with its crazy past comes to possess these animatronic mascots Oh uh, man it, it's so batshit crazy like you know it's so tongue-in-cheek the whole time and they know what they're doing and that's that's part of the appeal to me in this one I just feel like they had a fun time making this. It's it's not too serious. I I, I mean, I had a hard time finding flaws in it overall, to be honest, because it, it's just so bonkers and batshit the whole time. It's just a fun throwback popcorn flick to me, man.
2: Yeah, I I fucking love that movie. I... I'm not usually the biggest fan of just kind of mindless uh, violent films, but this this was such a treat. I Just something about the aesthetic of a silent Nicolas Cage destroying, just decimating these animatronic animals. It, it was just so much fun. Um, that and Don't Breathe 2 were probably the two movies I had the most fun at the theater with this year. Uh, Willy's Wonderland. There weren't many people in the theater, obviously, because it was still kind of the tail end of the pre-Delta, what do you call it, quarantine, and um, also, you know, uh, apparently Nick Cage isn't all that popular out here, because I've been to see Mandy, Color Out of Space, Willie's Wonderland, and now Pig, all in a row out here in LA, and the theater's almost always empty, and I never understand why. And with Color Out of Space, it was literally only playing in one theater, so I really thought more people were going to be there. But apparently, Nick Cage doesn't sell the tickets he used to in L.A., which is too bad. But ultimately, uh, yeah, Willie's Wonderland was an absolute treat for me. I mean, don't go in looking for great story or, you know— uh beautifully developed characters or anything nah this this movie is a roller coaster ride it's literally a giant fight scene, which I fucking adore it for yeah. so yeah i highly recommend on that one <laughs> yeah i uh,
0: i I agree I know it's a redundant statement to say something like it 's all in the execution, but with a movie like this, that pretty much holds true because just from the synopsis alone. You know, you know, this isn't going to be a deep thinker. It's not going to be a story that needs to be fleshed out. It's I want to see Nick Cage beat up some animatronics and it delivers on that. So it's like, well, what else are you really looking for from a movie like this? So yeah, I had a lot of fun with it.
3: Hell yeah, plus it has some fucking awesome pinball montages.
4: Yeah, I love these breaks, man. Those <laughs> scenes are great.
3: I love it when the... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I love the scene where like the girl's uh, about to get killed, and he's like... <laughs> and he's about Hold to that go thought. Talk. Hold that thought. He goes and takes his break.
2: <laughs> I was dying laughing. And <laughs> any movie that utilizes Freebird as well as this movie did is okay in my book.
1: That is true.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this I mean, just about everything in this movie is just guilty pleasure, guilty pleasure. I, I mean, I, I I would never sit here and give this movie, like, a 10 out of 10 review if I were giving it, like, an actual feature review, but for me, it was, like, some of the most fun I've had watching a movie this year, just... I, I mean, my stomach hurt by the end of the movie. I was laughing so much. Just every time one of the animatronics got killed, I just had this big uproarious belly laugh. It just, it was, it made me so happy. It's, uh, I don't know, it's its the guiltiest of pleasures and I can't recommend it enough.
4: <laughs> and the, the, the tongue-in-cheek stuff's just done so perfect, though. Like oh, it's, yeah. it's easy to do that and really come off just corny at the end of the day, but... What? I don't know man. It's it's endearing the whole time. It's a fun ride.
3: Who's yeah. your favorite animatronic dub? Ooh.
4: Oh man. I don't know, man. Hmm. The the ostrich is pretty awesome. I don't know, man. Like <laughs>
2: <laughs> They I like were the all, I mean the gorilla. I like the girl actually. Yeah. The girl with the the, the with the straight the Gus, Gus. Yeah. Well, the gorilla, geez. yeah. And the alligator was chameleon. pretty
4: awesome. The chameleon yeah.
2: too. <laughs> yeah, the knight. <laughs> The only the only actual humanoid was the knight. I like the one kill that he had. That was great. <laughs> yeah, it's good shit. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, it's funny because this when this movie released, it was right around when my kids started getting into the game Five Nights at Freddy's, which the animatronics in that look very similar. And um, isn't this the movie that like they initially tried to like do like licensing with it, and then they turned it down? So they're like, oh, we'll just make it.
1: Our own ways I mean, and was the just call rumor. it something different.
2: Yeah, that was kind of the internet rumor. Uh, through my research, I couldn't find any confirmation that this movie actually was at one point Five Nights at Freddy's. I, I, I all I could find was that they that somebody was planning to make a Five Nights at Freddy's movie.
3: Blumhouses.
2: Yeah, Blumhouse. Thank you. Um, so, but as far as like you know them not getting the licensing, like I couldn't find any confirmation of any of that. Yeah, yeah some
4: I mean inspiration I would think though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: it could have
0: been one of those things where like it was a couple conversations never went further but someone leaked that out and then it turned into like clickbait story where yeah. there is no actual like contracts written up or yeah. further meetings beyond just a conversation that kind of stuff always kind of snowballs and turns into like stories that aren't yeah. justified but <laughs> um
1: yeah, it, exactly.
0: The old I heard from some guy that, and then uh, that's your source. But um, yeah, as far as like the look of them, it, it does have a similar look. So my kids kind of got a kick out of Willie's Wonderland, um, just because you know from playing Five Nights at Freddy's, they're like, yeah, we'd want him to kill all these animatronics. <laughs> Um all right so I guess that kicks back for me so uh I will use my final rotation spot to just talk about a few games because oh god um, here we go <laughs> Yeah so, so Yeah last time I think I already brought up that I had started Last of Us 2 so just you know a couple more hours into that still loving it I mean I know I know part 2 was a lot more split with people where one was pretty much across the board, just loved. I mean, I'm still really liking two. I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be story arcs where I'll see where people had issues, I guess, but I haven't run into that yet.
2: Wait, you haven't run into the first major plot point. It's like less than an hour into the game. You still in the the first house in resident evil. Remember (laughs)
0: though, no, if, if the first, I, I'm past what I'm pretty sure you're referencing to, yeah. but I didn't think, you know, it's been a while since the game first came out and I read like sure. that initial criticism, so I could be wrong. But from what I remember, it wasn't that event so much. It was No,
2: there's more others. That's what the you thing. find that's out first... later on that's related to it. Yeah, exactly. It, basically, it starts the snowball effect and I wasn't happy with it. Uh, I finished it just because I can't as a gamer, I can't bring myself to spend 70 bucks on a game and not finish it. You know, if uh, I can, uh. if I have time, but I, I genuinely wanted to stop because well, I, I can't even say, I mean, it's just such a big spoiler for anybody who hasn't played the game and has played the first, but it's like when you do something like that, you're kind of, I don't know, man, the, the trust of the gamer kind of goes out the window a little bit. Um, I mean, without without getting into specifics, yeah, they, they made a, a, a storytelling decision about an hour into the game that I was vehemently against, and it, it basically affected my enjoyment of the rest of the game. Um, it's still a great game. Uh, I'm not going to take anything away from it. Mechanically, it's an awesome game. Visually, it's stunning. Um, but storytelling-wise, depending on how... Uh, Much you love uh, the first game and how much you love characters from the first game, yeah, you may not be uh, be too high on the second one. Um, But at the same time, I will give them credit for taking such a a major risk because that is a huge risk that they took. And ultimately, they got the blowback from it, the blowback that they kind of expected. Um, But it didn't really affect the sales of the game, the reviews of the game. I mean, the game is pretty much a universal 10 out of 10 from most people um so you know i'm not going to take anything away from it i'm just going to say i'm one of the uh the vocal majority who hated where the story went uh to the point where i won't play the game again i finished it once i'm done with it
0: yeah i mean the the if there's one thing i can say about it like the one uh yeah. choice we're referencing i am kind of surprised how early in the game it happened if anything yeah. um because because of the story dynamic between these characters, I wouldn't have been totally surprised for this to happen like yeah. at some point in the second game. Just because naturally sometimes, oh yeah, that's how things go. But I I was kind of shocked. Like, whoa! I'm only like hour hour and a half into this game. Wow, that's that's a bold decision. But well, uh, were they John yeah, Connor? I'm a few somebody? Hours past that,
2: <laughs> <laughs> John Connor? Somebody? Uh, you can kind of say that, I guess. Yeah, you
0: can say that. <laughs> I don't know, you know, it's not really a technically a brand new or even a new game anymore. No, it's, it's just over. I know Yeah, a lot of a lot of people like me, I just because I held out for like the PS five enhanced version, I'm assuming there's other people that are playing it for the first time now. So that's why I don't wanna just come out and start laying out everything that's happened, but um still loving it, so there's that. Um, I started Maneater. It was on a big sale, um, the game where you play the shark. And funny story about this, um, so I start the game, it kind of has like a cold opening. Um, and then it it kind of does want, you know, this isn't really a sweater of this game because a lot of games do this. You start with almost like the super powered or full strength uh, shark to start the game just to kind of like show off the abilities. But then you um, Through a course of events in the cold opening, you end up, like, as a new baby shark, and now you're going to, like, build your character. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, what happened was, so I go through the cold opening, I'm a baby shark, and I'm in the first level, and I can't fucking, like, beat, win any battles. I'm losing to every shark, so I get... I usually don't get overly frustrated, but I like turn off the game and then I kind of looked up a playthrough to (laughs) see if I'm just flat out doing something wrong. And I, I noticed like, how come in all these playthroughs after the cold opening, all these people are on a different level than me. Like I'm not, nothing's happening the same as my story. So then I Googled and I guess there's like a little glitch in the game that happens once in a while where after the cold opening, instead of starting you, at like the basic first level, it just throws you into like a random advanced area of the game. So you're actually this baby shark trying to like fight off, like, you know, fully grown hammerheads and great whites and, uh, advanced shark hunters and all. So I was like, okay, that explains why I couldn't fucking advance or shit. (laughs) And so I just started because like the cold openings only like, you know, half hour, 45 minutes. So I just started it over. And that time, then now it actually did put me where I'm supposed to be. So, luckily because at first i was trying to fight through and i was like well i guess i just have to build myself up until i'm like strong enough to pass this so luckily i didn't spend too long trying that cuz i would have been more pissed if like you know i'm spending 5 6 hours trying to level up and it's still <laughs> not working luckily i stopped myself about after an hour of doing that and figured out okay i'll just start over and everything It's so, like so that be South Park you know.
4: episode
1: live <laughs> to <M2> win <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah. The supposedly supposedly like the it. Jaws game we all wanted, basically, from what I've heard. Uh huh. Yeah,
2: kind
0: of. But, yeah, pretty much. Um,
2: Could you tickle Could
0: and... <laughs> <Can> I tickle him? <laughs> Is that what you said?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not the Crocodile Hunter game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Stingray. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and
2: the, old, the, uh,
0: the last thing I wanted to bring up uh, was the Torment and Souls demo. Um, I don't know how familiar people are with that. The actual game is out now, but um, I had just downloaded the demo, sat on it for about a week. And uh, basically, if you're a fan of like, Resident Evil 1, um, as far as mechanics go, because obviously a modern game is going to look a lot more or look more modern and better graphically, but they really go to the old school style of uh, tank controls, you gotta stop and raise your arms to shoot. That fixed camera, where like if you're running down a hall and the screen switches and you still have your uh, joystick on the same running, it actually makes you start going backwards. Um, all those memories from the PlayStation 1 era of Resident Evil Death are there. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, you're gonna have to like run around a lot of things instead of fight them just because of lack of ammo or lack of the power of your ammo, you actually start off um, with uh, a nail gun (laughs) because I'm picking up all these random nails and I'm like, what are these packs of nails for? Am I going to be like, I thought maybe, oh, I'll be boarding up windows or doors to, like, protect myself. But, you know, a couple scenes later, you actually end up with a nail gun. So I'm like, okay, that's, like, I guess your first weapon, other than, like, a melee weapon, is shooting off a nail gun, which isn't particularly powerful, which is not a big shock. Um, But I I liked it. You know, I kind of have, like, a love-hate relationship with retro gaming. I I think sometimes what happens is you get sucked in by... like how you felt about it at the time, but then after you play them for a few hours, it's like, okay, now I know why I like the way games have advanced better, especially when it comes to controls and how like reaction time. And it it makes me, when I see games like this, like the tormented souls games, it's like, could I see myself buying it? Perhaps, you know, once it's on sale, throw it in your library and kind of play around with it when you have the extra time. Um, but other than that, I don't know. It's, it's, sometimes it's tough to get me to pay for these games just because it's like, how long can I play before I get frustrated at tank controls again? Because, I don't know, that nostalgia can do you wrong in your head sometimes.
2: Especially I am the complete early. opposite. Oh. I
4: was just going to say, especially early 3D gaming. Like, I think 3D is where it's at. You know, that that's where the issues lie with the cameras and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, because, like, there's... Because I play, like... Uh, Mario games and stuff on the Switch like the the modern stuff that still mechanically feels like the 16-bit Super Nintendo era. Obviously mm-hmm. the graphics are better and it's a little smoother but for the most part you're still just running and jumping and picking up shells and I still love the hell out of those. Like I have no problem with playing those for hours but there's something about that PS1 era where like I don't know it, it's just tough for me now to play through a full game with, that control scheme. But Venom, um, you said opposite, so what do you guys say?
2: Oh, I'm the, the complete opposite. When it comes to throwback games, if I liked them when they were new, I still like them now. I'm currently playing the original Quake, because uh, they just added the original Quake to uh, Xbox Game Pass. So I went ahead and downloaded that, and I am having an absolute ball. Yeah, does it look like shit? Of course it does. It's a it's a 16 year old game. Maybe more. M- might be over 20 years old at this point. Um, but I, I enjoyed it when it was new. It still controls really well. Uh, but even even talking about Resident Evil, like I just recently replayed the original Resident Evil from uh, the old PlayStation 1, and I had no issues with it. it. It's just one of those things, I think, that when you're a really hardcore fan of something, it's going to stay timeless. Like, yeah, you're going to be able to pick out its um, shortcomings, and graphics is always going to be the first thing you kind of look at. But ultimately... If I got used to a game's controls in 1996, I probably would still prefer those controls in 2021. Yeah. Um, that's just me, mind you. You know, I mean, this is the guy who plays Super Metroid like twice a year because uh, it's my favorite game of all time. Fuck yeah.
1: Oh, my God. It was,
2: the yeah, new, I new play one? It. The
4: new one? I'm stoked.
2: Oh, the new one looks amazing. Holy yeah, shit, man. did I have a nerd boner when, when they were previewing <laughs> that. Oh, my God. But anyway, um, yeah. Uh, So, like I said, I'm the kind of guy that if I download uh, a classic title, I don't find myself getting sick of it an hour or two in. I I play it right through. Um, I I mean, I don't know what that says about me or you. I don't know. I'm not trying to make a statement. I'm just saying that I'm the complete opposite. I don't get sick of retro games. Um, In fact, I'll get sick of new games and want to go back. Like just the other day, I was playing Far Cry 5, getting ready for Far Cry 6. Uh, that comes out later this month, which is another one of my favorite video game franchises. And after a while, it just got so monotonous to just sit there and take over bases, it, you know, graphically it's gorgeous and mechanically it's great too. It's fun as hell, but it's just, I I, I was yearning for something different. And literally I popped in Pac-Man championship edition. <laughs> so uh, I, I just, uh, maybe I suffer from video game nostalgia more than most, but yeah, I, I just never get sick of those old games. I can play
3: them straight through. Hell yeah, man! I was just playing uh, Castlevania the other day.
2: I oh, Super, Yeah, I was playing the, what uh, Symphony of the Night not too long ago.
3: Yeah, Which I, I love side scrollers, man. It's, it's yeah. what I grew up on, man. You know, like Metroidvania games are always that's exactly. my favorite, man. Well, that's why I love Bloodstain so much because it's a side scroller. You know, like nice. such a great game. You know, pick it up,
0: yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I I was a big fan of the Resident Evil 2 remaster. I thought oh, they did a really good job on that. Oh, Resident 2 Evil 2 is probably my favorite in the franchise. I know a lot of people say 4, and 4 is awesome too, four but I think 2. Not. Yeah.
2: 4 was such a big, drastic change, though. I mean, I love yeah. 4. 4 is a masterpiece. It really is. Um, I won't say on it's my
4: Wii,
2: favorite. I mean, that's, my that's favorite is still
4: What's that? I'm sorry. On the Wii? Uh, Oh, yeah. It's actually a great version, the Wii version, using the Joy-Con.
2: Exactly. Uh, I think I played it for like a couple of minutes on the Wii. But, yeah, uh, back when I was actually working in video games, I remember somebody had it in the office. Um, But, yeah, uh, man, those old games. Like I said, I tend to to gravitate towards the older stuff. I play the newer stuff because, like I said, I have Xbox Game Pass. So if they put a new title on, I'm going to play it. Um, Just this week, I played, what, The Ascent, uh, Psychonauts 2, uh, the original Quake, like I said, which I'm still playing. I've I've actually already played through it twice, and I just keep going over through it, even though uh, there's difficulty settings, but there's no differences. You know, it's still the same game, just with more monsters, but goddamn, do I love that game. (laughs) If, If you missed out on the original Quake back in, like, 96, 97, ah, you missed out on a piece of video game history.
0: Yeah, my my kids are Sonic fans. I I might pick up a Sonic Colors Remaster and remake. uh, It comes out Tuesday um, for them. On well, I'll probably be getting it on PS4. Yeah, it looks. I I never had. I mean, obviously, I played Sonic games before, but I I never had that one. Um, But I just kind of watched a preview and showed it to them, just so they can get an idea of it. And it, it looks really cool. Like just kind of expanding the different gameplay in it um but they're kind of stoked because they it's it's funny i think i've I've said this before my my kids actually learned about sonic through the cartoon before they even knew uh it was a video game because i think they were just randomly scrolling on netflix and came across it and i Steve Urkel. caught them
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i caught them watching it, um and not in a negative way, just I saw them watching it when they were in their room, and I was like, hey, did you guys know this is a video game? And they're like, what? <laughs> oh, kids today. But
4: <laughs> hell yeah. Um,
0: yeah, that does it for what I've been playing lately. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty set on video coming, games. I mean, I've got sooner, more than I can handle moment. <laughs> no more gaming in hell, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, so... I guess that'll do it for that segment, so we can get into news. I don't really have a bunch. One of them is a video game-related <laughs> news item, which is Alan, Alan Wake's getting a remaster. Um, but I guess the biggest part of the Alan Wake remaster is it's finally going to be available on PlayStation, because before it was Xbox and PC only. Uh, Venom, did you play Alan Wake back in the day?
2: Many, many times, including all the DLC.
1: Mm -hmm. I loved it.
2: I fucking love Alan Wake. It's a game that I really, really wished would have gotten a true sequel. They made, like, a side game a couple of years after it. I think it was, what, American Nightmare or something like that. Alan Wake, American Nightmare. And it it, it was a whole different team, I think, Mm -hmm. um, production team. So it wasn't the same game. But, yeah, the original Alan Wake game, I mean – Having a flashlight as a weapon, I just thought was a brilliant mechanic. Um, You know, the, the, the universe itself looked great. The story was amazing. Usually I find horror video game stories, like the plot's a little convoluted. Like, I mean, look at where Resident Evil is gone. It used to be this little game in this mansion, and now it's like... Rural Louisiana and fucking Eastern Europe, now. Transylvania and shit. Yeah, like, what the fuck is going on? Exactly.
0: It is still technically. Yeah, it's, it's, it's getting so grand that it's like Resident Gear Solid.
2: Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's valid.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
2: but yeah, I just um, I don't even remember what my original point was, but fucking um, <laughs> yeah, as, love as big. Alan Wake oh alan wake Uh, but yeah like i said alan wake was such a cool little story you know it was all just him um you know um if if i remember correctly i think what he was looking for his wife or something Uh, because i remember (laughs) that one of the dlcs was just about his wife like you actually played as her um which was weird since she was dead during the events of alan wake but whatever um So, but yeah, Alan Wake, I absolutely loved. It was one of those games that I've been harping for a sequel for years. Um, It's nice that we're getting a remake. I don't know that I'll really run out and get it because, I mean, I I probably still have it in storage somewhere, the original game, not that I would ever play it again. But the remaster, I don't know. We'll see. If I got an extra few bucks and I, I, I feel nostalgic, then I'll check it out. But yeah, anybody who didn't play the original Alan Wake game, it really is a classic horror title. You know, yeah, not so much I'll, monsters, but definitely like spirits and the afterlife and stuff like that. You know, I, yeah. remember
4: the original. There was even a OG in the early 90s, really crude PC game.
2: Oh, that I don't know. No.
4: Yeah, that was the original Alan Wake. So it's like every 17 years they come out with a new Alan Wake.
2: <laughs> it's like uh, Pennywise. Nice.
4: Right.
0: Yeah, I yeah. I learned of the game because I was, you know, I've always been just a PlayStation Guy, just because I never, I never needed to have all the consoles at once, um, and because I started with PlayStation, I just kind of stuck with it. But how I le- how I learned about it was in like the early early days of Twitch. I saw people playing it on there. I was like, "What the hell is this?" And like, I I looked for it, and I was like, "Oh, I can't get it on PlayStation." But because it was kind of like it wasn't quite like AAA title, you know, it was kind of like that next tier down. I always assumed, oh not to worry, it'll eventually get like a port over to PlayStation and it just never did. And years and years and years went by, people would constantly talk about it getting remade or a sequel or new DLC. And Oh, if it does, I bet it'll finally come to PlayStation. It just never did. And then finally, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, the story broke that someone saw it like on a retail website listed and it said PS4, PS5. So I was like, finally, like I'm a damn Near old man with no time to play video games, but I will be purchasing it because I've been waiting like twenty years to <laughs> to play it. So I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, and I, I yeah, I definitely fall into that category. and Have never played it, just watched people play. Wait, you never bit. played it? No, played the man, line of video games for you? Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> it is. He said he was a PlayStation <laughs> guy, so yeah, he wouldn't have had the opportunity. Unbelievable, Michael!
3: Unbelievable! Unfucking believable! I'm just yeah. waiting for the crossover. I'm just waiting for the fucking crossover where Alan Wake versus Alan Dale.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: where is that movie? Um.
2: Alan uh, Wake versus right. Alan Tudyk. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: The uh, the only other news item I got was about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I guess what is it like a re- a retcon sequel, which is all the rage now. It's they decided to like just dump it to Netflix, which I found. I
3: don't well, they know. Made, I well, mean, well, Sony—they made that deal with uh, Sony Netflix. Yeah, So that makes sense.
2: It was going to be theatrical, but yeah, a lot of stuff's just coming to streaming now. Yeah,
0: I mean, do you think it's just because they're still kind of worried about turnout? When do you know when it was supposed to release? Was it twenty twenty one or? I thought it was not this year. next year. Yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. I could be wrong.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it's just a case of, like, lingering effects. They're already thinking about afraid of yeah, the,
2: yeah,
3: there's a lot of Sony movies already getting pushed back already, so <laughs> it's like, why not just throw it on Netflix at this point?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that's going to do the numbers that, like, a Candyman did anyway, so... People yeah, are still kind of, you know... The, the, the what do you call it? The Chainsaw sequels have been kind of hit or miss and usually more miss for me. Uh, the remake was cool. I like the remake, but I don't know. Um, like even the last I'll... one, which was like, for the most part, it was positively re- received. I thought it was just a weird movie. Like they, they did that whole swerve with who we thought was going to become, you know, Thomas Hewitt, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It, it it was a weird film. It was gory and all, but I don't know. It didn't really satisfy my Texas Chainsaw desire.
3: Well, it's better than Texas Chainsaw 3D.
2: Well, anything is better than Texas Chainsaw 3D. A wet it, fart it, is better than that
3: movie. Right? I, yeah, I, I actually talked about that movie on Exploding Heads recently. Do you <laughs> think, cuz?
2: Do you think? Uh,
0: I know, and oh. it's like it's funny because everyone goes that line, but it's like, it's not just the line. That line is horrible, but it's like everything. leading Oh
3: yeah. To oh, you should, you should hear me talk about it. Mike, I just talked about the sheriff's wig and the prequel
0: scene.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I do. Uh, what I was going to ask, um, I think Ben already started to answer was like, it could be possible, you know, lingering effects of the pandemic. They're afraid of a lack of a turnout. Also, I think, you know, if we go back a year, a lot of the stuff that was uh, pushed to 2021 because they assumed everything would be back to normal. Now they're finding out like not the case and we're not getting necessarily the huge crowds right back, although the new MCU sounds like it had like a. Bang up weekend.
2: It broke so Labor far. Day. We, we're not even done with the Labor Day weekend, and it already has broken the Labor you Day. Yo, my theater was
3: crowded. I went to Dolby, and that shit was fucking packed. Yo, yeah,
2: this this movie is going to do a hundred million, I would imagine, by the time this weekend's over. Long weekend, you know, people are, you know, <laughs> sick of staying at home constantly, and the theaters will still let you go with the mask on. So, <laughs> those people lot, that don't mind drive-ins. wearing a mask,
1: rock
4: on. A lot of drive-ins now too.
2: Yeah, drive. Yeah,
4: we have like three I, new ones, so that's cool.
2: I don't like I don't like going to see new movies in the drive-in for some reason. Like yeah. classic movies or movies, even modern movies that I've already seen at least once, I got no problem with. But I don't know. Uh, I I like my big screen. I like my big an screen screen, enclosed theater. You know?
0: Yeah. And sometimes yeah, sure. too, it depends if your drive-in's been uh, up updated to like the the digital projector because that makes a difference too because for the longest time ours is using the old school projection and then like finally about a decade ago they just got with the programmer like all right it's finally time to upgrade and get more modern and everything looks really great there now
2: no yeah i've I've been to a modern uh the mission tiki driving out here in california is like the ultra modern one (laughs) Um, it only shows brand new movies. Um, everything is, you know, really, really nice. The concession stand, the concession stand is like the size of like a small supermarket. It's fucking gigantic. Um, and the, the picture quality is great. It's just the nature of watching movies in my car. If it's a movie I've never seen before, I don't know. It just doesn't appeal to me. I've tried it before and I don't know. I I, I'm a theater guy. True. You know, tried and true. Uh, but even but if it comes uh, the choice between watching a new movie at home or at the drive-in I'll stay home uh yeah for me it
0: probably just depends on the movie like I said uh something like Kong Skull Island I took uh my kids well, I can't even say I took my kids I think my youngest wasn't born yet or she was like infant age but um like to me that was like a movie totally drive-in acceptable, a big monster movie. It's like, oh, sure. hey, if I, c- if I can see King Kong as big as possible flying around on the screen, cool with me, you know?
2: Yeah. I'll take IMAX. <laughs> I'll take Dolby. I like oh, Dolby. I Dolby Cinema. I saw Candyman in Dolby. That shit was awesome with the subwoofers under the seat. Ugh. Yeah, I just saw
3: Shang-Chi there. It was fucking awesome.
2: I still haven't decided if I'm going to see that in IMAX or Dolby. Um, Dolby. Dolby. Ah, I love my big screen though, but it's true. I am an audio guy, so we'll see. It might come down to convenient uh, time more than anything. Yeah, yeah. I-, I do love Dolby Theater. That's the best. Hmm.
0: Um. So yeah, that's all I got as far as news. Do you guys have anything you wanted to bring up?
3: Nothing really today, Michael. I didn't. Well, honestly, I didn't have a chance to look because you yeah. usually make it, uh-huh. you usually make a thing like. You guys have any news in the chat? You know, you never did that.
2: Well, It's not like we didn't know we had a show coming. That's true. <laughs> I did too. I did look, though, but yeah, there wasn't anything really. You know, casting, yeah. rumor, movie, rumor shit. That's not really news to me, so I don't bother.
3: Yeah, same here.
2: Yeah, you No know, amazing. Uh, Robert England news this week, so there's nothing to report.
3: Oh, by the way, guys, did you know Robert England's opening up a drive in where he's going to dress up as Freddy Krueger? <laughs> wow,
0: uh, Where's this mean, that? that's him? true. That is kind of awesome.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, W, you, you don't get it. We we just make up fake news articles that involve you're like the like oh, yeah. onion here.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, if you let's see, if you consider Rob Zombie getting his own coffee, a, a news item called. Hellbilly brew, um, yeah, you coffee drinkers. You know
1: there. what? <laughs> Fuck
0: fucking
3: Rob Zombie. He said the fucking Mummy fucking Returns sucked. I'm like, you made me sit through fucking thirty one. Fuck off.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he has the balls to say that movie sucks. Half of his movies suck. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Rob. Uh, I used to like you, but I don't know. You've become kind of a. But i I had to choose between the Mummy
3: Returns and one of Rob Zombie's movies. I watch The Mummy Returns. I don't give a fuck if The Rock looks terrible. <laughs> oh,
2: so. I just don't watch that final scene. Like, when I watch The Mummy Returns, I stop it right before The Rock shows up, and it's the yeah. greatest movie ever.
3: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's a good popcorn movie. There's some of the CGI is kind of dated. I'll admit that. You know? Yeah.
2: I mean, I remember it looking bad when it was new because I I did see Mummy Returns. I saw all three Mummy movies in the theater because I was a big fan. And uh, yeah, oh man, the CG rock as a scorpion is, uh, even when it was brand new, it was pretty bad.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that
0: was a sight to behold.
2: I'm like, why couldn't just have a practical uh, rock
3: with like scorpions? Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah, Yeah. I think sometimes (laughs) they get these grand ideas when really it's like, you could have just had the rock on there as the scorpion. He didn't need to try to CGI in him, making him a literal scorpion. Like, no. <laughs> nope. I think that, that was, might've been one of those writer rooms where it's like, they, they, there was no one in there to check them. Like, or uh,
3: maybe yeah, not, the rock was not available either. You know, you never know. It was the
2: late, it was the late nineties too. So like everybody was putting CG in their movies. Yeah. An abundance, it, like everybody thought they could do Jurassic Park, when nobody can do Jurassic Park, but Spielberg, uh, and everybody fucking attempted it. Isn't that funny that a twenty six, twenty seven year old movie still has some of the best CG effects ever? That's fucking insane.
3: In every other movie after, side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, like, yeah, like even some of the Jurassic Park sequels are like, whoa, like.
1: Lost no, world,
3: they're not great. Lost world where he just goes through a sign that's not there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that Gremlins anime that's coming on HBO Max. They decided to air it on Cartoon Network as well, which is interesting decision because usually if you're a paid streaming service, like I don't know if maybe there's a parent company in common. Well, I um, think Warner
1: Brothers. Yeah, Warner
2: Brothers. yeah. that's um,
0: why all the
2: Warner Brothers movies are coming out on HBO Max and the theater at the same time.
0: I guess they figure the secrets of the Mogwai cartoon isn't enough to make people just buy HBO Max just for that. So they're like, yeah, we'll throw it on the Cartoon Network.
2: It's that Paw Patrol movie that's out right now. It's in theaters, but it's also playing on, uh, Paramount plus. So, Uh, yeah. Warner brothers is like putting all their stuff on streaming. I like it though, because it gives you the choice. Like, you know, I, I didn't have to see Mortal Kombat and, and uh, Godzilla vs. Kong in the theater, but I chose to because it's what I wanted. I, I, I like the fact that they're giving people the choice. I did both. Well, yeah. I mean, for my second <laughs> view, definitely at home, heavily, heavily inebriated. But still, I watched Godzilla
3: vs Kong like forty five times on this Sunday. <laughs> I think I'm
2: only I'm only on a dozen or so right now. I might watch it again this week since I got some time.
3: Especially, um, that, especially that scene where fucking Kong just sub zeros Mega Godzilla and rips his skull off. <laughs> <laughs> sub
1: zeros. <laughs> oh, very nice.
0: The uh, Netflix series Ten After Midnight from Guillermo del Toro got its name changed to Cabinet. Of curiosities. It's an yep. anthology horror series, and now uh, Panos Cosmatos is attached to direct episode, as well as um, Peter Weller and Crispin Glover are attached to... Robocop!
3: Yes! we're yeah, talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, at, yeah. at the least, I am i hyped about all the names attached to it we'll see i mean maybe you know with that creep show having some success on shutter that's spreading because we got the american horror stories anthology where it's a you know a new story every episode creep show now we got netflix doing it so i'm i'm kind of happy with this resurgence as well with anthology shows
2: As long as they're original properties, yeah, I'm very okay with it. I've never. It seems like over the last ten years, every major horror franchise has gotten a TV show. You know, between Mm -hmm. Scream and The Exorcist and you know, countless others, it just got monotonous there for a while. I'm I'm very okay with original horror properties. I want to see new stuff. I don't need another Friday the 13th TV show or a Halloween TV series or whatever. You know what I mean? I already have the movies. So, yeah, anything, any original horror property, count me in.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, fortunately that does, because they have, I'm not going to go through, like, the breakdown of the episodes, but it it does sound like these are original stories. I mean, yeah, yeah, quote-unquote, like original pieces. as they can be, you know. Yeah. Original
1: stories. Gen-
4: Jennifer can't. Attached, like Jordan oh, Hill. No, you know, there's going to be some baby killing and raping that episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, though.
2: The Boba Keep is a fabulous though. outfit. Uh,
0: or it's going to yeah, turn into Nef- the Nightingale.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no! Brutal. The Boba was the Nightingale the whole time! <laughs>
0: yeah, it's good, too, because Netflix usually has a reputation of being pretty hands off. It's like we we signed you guys to write and direct for a reason. We're going to let you do your thing. You know,
1: I'm mean, very curious on Peter
0: Weller episode. Hmm. Hmm.
2: Cause he's Robocop. They're alive. That'd
0: be funny if it was a straight Robocop, but like a horror version. Hey, we
2: got a, we, we got a straight evil dead homage on the latest uh, season of creep show. So who knows?
0: Yeah. And I, the, the trailer for the third season's out and there's something that shows up that I'm not going to say because I know you guys aren't I hope a, a
3: little. I hope there's a little toy episode because I, I know the show wasn't really that great, but did you guys ever see the Nightmares and Dreamscape show that was on? Yeah! That? You remember the Battleground episode? That was like the best episode Ooh. of that show. Oh, it looks like the Green Army,
0: part. man. Yeah, yeah.
3: William Hurt is the assassin. <laughs> the Green mm-hmm. Army man. Yeah. That's the best episode.
0: Yeah. We... <laughs> Oh, man, me, Jamie, and Brian covered that way back on Evil Episodes. I remember I remember that, man. That it, episode was really good.
3: Yeah, that's when Brian Hanson directed that
0: one, too. Nice. Oh, and it looks like Peter Weller is going to be in the Panos Cosmodos episode. Like, that's the one. Oh, it's going to be like
3: Mandy with Robocop.
0: That's amazing.
2: <laughs> Robo Mandy.
0: <laughs> Mandy Cop.
2: As long as the Cheddar Goblin <laughs> makes an appearance.
0: Is be- so just
3: about Peter Weller fighting the Cheddar Goblin like an unknown origin?
2: No, no. <laughs> Robocop and the Cheddar Goblin get together to fight evil.
0: And eat mac and cheese.
2: <laughs> and eat mac and cheese.
0: And then the biker gang.
2: Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Stuff. We're immature,
0: folks. Remind uh, us. <laughs> Is this the burning uh, question?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Burning question. Who wins in a fight? Cheddar Goblin, Robocop. Go. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we had to blend it into the news due to lack of burning question for the episode. (laughs) But, yeah, as far as news items, that looks like it's going to wrap it up for that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll move right along to the non-burning question I have for this episode. I don't really have one. So unless you you guys have anything. (laughs) Yeah, well, that doesn't matter because he didn't leave any feedback on the gigantic burning question <laughs> from last time. So.
3: Yeah, what the hell, Dave.
0: Well, no, I asked. Like, well, I, <laughs> I, Well, no, I did ask him because, like, I noticed he had already because he was always leaving huge feedback on Slumber Party Massacre stuff. So, like last time, I was asking. Like Lacy, because Lacey reached out. I'll leave some. Food. I was like, okay. I was like, well, what? You don't already have like a chapter from Dave Z to read out on the show? And she's like, no, he didn't leave any. And then Dave just said like he's been more like diseng- disengaged from that th- kind of stuff. Not. Oh, he's taking a break. But, yeah, he's yeah, taking
2: just, one of his quarterly you know, breaks,
3: sabbaticals.
2: You know, he's going. He's going
3: to go fight
0: so, kung fu with Kane. Yeah. So, what I'm guessing is, like, you know, a month or two from now, he'll, uh, leave some huge feedback on the episode where then we got to remember what we were talking about. Like, oh, yeah, okay,
1: cool. Uh,
3: you motherfuckers have <laughs> been talking shit about me on this
0: episode, motherfuckers. <laughs> like, fuck you on no more room in hell. They fuck you, they fuck you, they fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was going to bring up, like, pushback on the pushback of, supposed like woke movies, but we've already kind of done that kind of thing. And the only reason why is because with Candyman coming out, you got a lot of that back and forth resurrected on social we're media. Shut the
3: fuck up about that shit
2: too. Yeah. yeah. Just tune in tune know. into our latest episode it, of Fresh Cuts. Like, we like go it, into a big rant about uh the social wokeness of the movie
3: and It's like, it's like can that. we just enjoy a fucking movie? Like they were doing that shit with fucking invisible man. You know, like I'm saying it was a Me Too movie where, like, I'm... Uh, so is the enough from fucking with J-Lo?
0: It's, it's enough with J-Lo with the Invisible Man. Uh, what the fuck whatever. Up? You know, like... Yeah. I just... Uh, I mean, I just got to the point where, like, I can appreciate constru- constructive... Con- God. Well, I appreciate being able to pronounce words, I guess. But uh <laughs> constructive <right>. criticism...
2: Sorry, <laughs> constructive folks. Mike, is so Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. Uh, constructive criticism on any topic I think is appreciated regardless of like your point of view or what, what kind of side you're coming but the key is constructive and I just saw that like a lot of the stuff being said was like everything we heard before with every other movie that people get mad about and so I was pushing back on that criticism directly but then I was like well we kind of already did that on the episode of Fresh Cuts that we covered the movie so I was like I don't want to say it all over again on here that's why i was like nah, i don't want to do that but um if you guys don't really have any topics that are going on or anything you want to talk about i guess uh we can take our break and then come back with uh discussion on a couple of venom's picks
2: yeah sorry, sorry folks nobody uh nobody had a hot take on the internet that pissed me off this week so i guess we don't get to hear uh venom vent uh vent is anger again <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: And you you know.
4: <laughs> nothing burning, guys. I mean, uh <laughs> the earth is not flat. I mean
1: <laughs> that's a hot take. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and just to add, FYI too, for anyone that does like appreciate the burning question segments I am kind of trying to put together like alternate segments we can do just for when we don't have you know something topical to specifically focus on so in the future like because i know sometimes it's like if we don't have a burning topic that's fine but are you going to do something in its place and in the future we probably will um i just want to you know i don't want to kind of rush that when we don't really have it figured out and we're trying to like do it on the fly during the episode so there are some things in the work just in case because they're just something sometimes there isn't always something to talk about necessarily in that context the way we do it on the show so um we got stuff in, in the works and you know like i said i hate to be a broken record about summer series prep but it's just taking up so much time rightfully so justifiably so that once what another week until our roundtable next weekend yep. right um once round tables recorded it's pretty much back to like okay i can put all that podcast free time into like our actual shows <laughs> so um
2: translation yeah, so, when the summer series is over mike has to find new excuses to not watch movies yes exactly
0: you're right. <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> i'm looking forward to it so uh, that said yeah, well, that's it. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back to talk about our main features.
3: Look at me. I'm Sandra D.
5: We're about to show you a few scenes of this movie, which is called The Wizard of Gore. For those of you who appreciate this type of cinematic art, you will see the most startling scenes of their type ever filmed. But for those of you with heart conditions, or who are with young and impressionable children, we ask that you turn around in your seats, or leave this auditorium for the next two minutes. Thank you. Master of Illusion, your eyes may see, but your mind may refuse to believe. Permit me to show you a few of the tricks I perform in the Wizard of Gore. Activities you've just seen. No. You see, I'm not afraid to stick my neck out. Of all time. The Wizard of Gore. This film will take its place in motion picture history as a milestone of extraordinary achievement. Never before have the weird, the eerie, the astonishing, the bewildering been shown in so stunning a film. Behind the facade of a normal world lies another world whose grisly mystery brings panic to some, satisfaction to others. An astounding achievement in bizarre, amazing theater, The Wizard of Gore. On H.P. Lovecraft's terrifying tale of those who explore the unspeakable, starring Sandra Dee, Dean Stockwell, Academy Award winner Ed Begley, Sam Jaffe. Horendipity written here. The love story of a girl looking to the future. And a boy dedicated to the mysteries of the past. He invokes the unspeakable. Yeah. Safa. She invites it. You're one of us now. paradise of terror, where fear eternal lives (laughs) and the dead come to life. I've never heard anything like that.
2: All right, folks, welcome back. Mr. Venom here, and we're gonna go ahead and start with our feature reviews. As I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, uh, we are looking at two films from the year of my birth, which is 1970. Yes, I'm old, fuck you. Um, so we're the first movie we're gonna take a look at was released right at the beginning of 1970, January 14th, in the U.S., to be exact. And that is uh, The Dunwich Horror. This is, of course, a Lovecraft adaptation of the story of the same name, The Dunwich Horror. Uh, This movie um, definitely... um, has a big look at the Necronomicon, doesn't really get into the history as much as, say, the actual story that's called the Necronomicon, uh, written by, what, Brian Lumley a few years ago, or a few decades ago, actually. Um, but it, it is definitely a key point in the movie. Basically, we have Wilbur Whateley, who is uh, a, a member of the Waitley family out of uh, Dunwich, the town of Dunwich. Um, he realizes that a professor at the nearby Miskatonic University has the legendary Necronomicon. He, of course, needs the Necronomicon for some kind of nefarious ritual, and the movie just kind of goes along from there. So let's go ahead and start with our guest. Uh, Dubby, what what did you think of the uh, Dunwich Horror? Was this a first-time watch for you? Are you a Lovecraft fan? Yada, yada, yada
4: yes man all all the above actually the, I, I am a lovecraftian fan but this is one that was kind of hard to find on dvd back in the day until more recent years i got a chance to actually check it out um yeah so i i loved it i mean of course you had your your typical Arkoff, and of course uh wasn't our man corman even attached to this film like Yes, pretty sure. Yeah. So, yeah, you have that straight up 1970s feel. Um, I think it's interesting just as far as try to put yourself in the time frame of 1970, man, one of the cra- coming off 1969, which is possibly the craziest year of our time. So I think that explains a lot of the angst and there's some real weird psychedelic experimentation in this film, <laughs> which I found intriguing, but sometimes quite maybe. Uh, repetitive after a, after a point, uh, it does have its faults here. Um, Dean Stockwell is fucking awesome. <laughs> that that that's a, that was the biggest surprise in this. Uh, Ed Beagley, of course, was kind of surprised too. But uh, yeah, man, first watch. I thought it was a it was a fun fucking midnight mass, really cool satanic feel film.
2: Definitely. Um, I'm going to go ahead next because this was also, believe it or not, a first time watch for me. Um, I am a champion of Lovecraft. I absolutely love the man, love his literature, and any films based on his, even if they're loosely based on his literature, I will check out. And this is one that I just never got around to. Um, Obviously, big fan of the the obvious stuff from Beyond, Dagon, most recently Color Out of Space, The Void, stuff like that, um, which I adore all of those films. The Void actually was my number one film of 2017. But of course, if you know how big a Lovecraft fan I am, that makes sense. So like I said, definitely surprising that I hadn't seen this film up until now. But I got to say, I loved this film. I, I am shocked at how much I really enjoyed this being going into it, knowing that it's a 1970 film. I was definitely going to give it some leeway with maybe some cheesy. There might be some cheesy effects or some cheesy camera effects utilized. But ultimately, I loved almost every scene in this film. Um, I I think they did what they could cause obviously, you know, visualizing an unimaginable horror is almost impossible because ultimately that's going to change based on who's looking at it. That's the whole reason why Lovecraft stuff is so unknown because what scares one person might not scare another. But if you just call something unimaginable horror, everyone has a different image in their head and that works great here. You know, um, we see the uh, existence of some kind of Lovecraftian creature in the house, in the Waitley home, the mansion that is obviously through camera trickery kind of not really shown to us um, in depth. We do get a pretty decent little kill scene when it, uh, when the creature attacks Elizabeth, who is uh, Nancy's friend who comes looking for her in Dunwich. That's actually pretty well made. I mean, I actually thought that they did a good job of hiding the cheapness of the creature, because the creature is obviously not going to look very good if you just throw it in front of the camera. But the Mm -hmm. fact that they're doing flashing imagery, different color lighting, um, even like photo negative type stuff. It's just I I think they did a really excellent job at hiding how cheap the creature might have looked. And then, you know, we get that little shot of uh, the creature at the end that he was trying to um, uh, summon throughout the film. Yeah. And and uh yeah yag yag Shagoth or Sharoth, something like that and Shoroth, you know, Shoroth,
1: yeah <laughs> we
2: get we get uh you know we get a quick image of it it's it's you know it, it's acceptable for the time like i said uh you can't expect john carpenters thing in a movie like this something you know made in what 1969 because it was released in january 1970 so you know this movie was filmed you know right around that turbulent 69 you know with the uh, you know, Woodstock and man landing on the moon and social rights issues and everything else that was going on in the country. You know, it was very, as Dub, you know, already mentioned very turbulent time. This movie definitely does have a 69 kind of late sixties sensibility, especially with its dream sequences. There's multiple dream sequences here where uh, the hero, our hero, Nancy kind of finds herself surrounded by cult members Um uh, you know, the, the the people who worship the old ones kind of in a very almost psychosexual way, because, um, you know, we we do see Sandra Dee nude, which, from what I understand, is a very rare thing. Sandra Dee was one of those, quote unquote, good girl actors in her heyday. So to actually see her, you know, in a very sexual role like this one was um, probably very different for people of the time. Uh, the performances themselves, I thought, were great. Um, Dean Stockwell. The only complaint I'm going to have with Dean Stockwell is that he's a very short person. And uh, I, it's a terrible thing to say because I don't want to make it sound like I'm being biased. But Wilbur Waitley, if you read the book, Wilbur Waitley is a very large, imposing person. Whereas Dean Stockwell is all a five foot two um, with probably the most perfectly groomed mustache I've ever seen in my life, by the way. The close-up shots of that mustache, I, I, I'm literally freezing the movie, and I'm like, I want to know this guy's barber, because the, it is literally the most perfectly groomed mustache I've ever seen in my life. It's so, as weird. Opposed,
1: it's so like,
3: weird, too, because it's like the only movie I've ever seen him in with a fucking mustache.
2: Yeah, exactly.
4: He's got um, the quantum leap on Sander yeah. D, man.
2: <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Um, But yeah, I mean, great casting with Dean Stockwell. He did a great job of being that creepy yet current charismatic Waitley, you know, the the last of the Waitleys. Obviously, his grandfather is still there for the majority of the movie. um, But obviously, Wilbur is going to be the last male of the family and where that kind of takes us. This movie has a lot of similarities um, to the recent Lovecraft Country. I don't know if anybody actually watched the Lovecraft Country TV show. Um, On HBO uh, from last year, I believe. But yeah, uh, these two kind of have very similar stories, how, you know, they're going to adjacent towns looking for, you know, um, books. Obviously, they're not looking for the Necronomicon necessarily in Lovecraft Country, but there is still an ancient book. uh, The Book of Souls, I believe, in the series is what they're looking for. So there's a lot of similarities there uh, for anybody who enjoyed Lovecraft Country, which I absolutely did. Um, it's a shame it will not be getting a second season, even though it collected about twenty something Emmy nominations. But that's a story for another podcast. Yeah. But let's just say I, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my general th- thoughts at I was genuinely and pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed this movie. And it's not just the Lovecraftian aspects. Uh the score. This score is really really well done.
4: Same dude.
2: Yeah. That oh, theme. the flutes <laughs> and
4: shit. Fucking love, love that. It.
2: Just the opening credits themselves, the imagery that you're seeing through the opening credits as these black shapes morph into different objects, you know, they'll morph into the devil, a priest, a naked woman, things like that, with a great theme song playing over the top. Yeah, it, it's like it, it's so perfect uh, a way to open the movie. It really sets the tone nicely and just shows you that they're they're taking care With this Lovecraft adaptation, just by watching the opening credits. But yeah, you know, as soon as the movie opens, we get a reference to the Necronomicon, which instantly, you know, makes people like me's eyes open and ears perk up. And suddenly it's like, oh, I'm invested all of a sudden. So, um, yeah, like I said, first time watch. Absolutely enjoyed it. Uh, This will definitely, I know Scream Factory put out a Blu-ray of this, so I more than likely will be picking this up very soon. Um, And from here, let's go to Derek. Derek, what do you got for me for the Dunwich Horror?
3: This is a second time watch for me because I actually own that Scream Factory Blu-ray, which I do recommend. It's a good, it's one of their double feature ones. It comes with uh, the 71 Murders of the Rue Morgue. Oh pretty solid movies, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, Dean Stockwell kills it. I, I think the reason why casting him was so important, because just the way he looks at people his eyes, the eyes are the most frozen feature because they kind of look unalienated in a way when he's staring at people. That kind of gives that mysticism of his character, plus that ep- epic mustache, too. <laughs>
2: I will never get over this perfectly groomed mustache
3: ever. He's got he's got the w doubles hair rocking through this.
2: That's uh, <laughs> awesome.
3: You know, like it's fucking awesome. You know, uh, uh, I you know he actually kind of was a kind of a hippie during this time period. I was reading yep. some research on it, and actually was listening to the commentary that's on the release. And uh it was his idea to do like some of that psychedelic shit that's kinda in the movie. <laughs> uh which makes sense when you learn that. Uh Ed Bagley Sr. though is Armitage. Awesome. Yeah. You know, it's just a good rounded movie. This is probably the closest AIP has ever come to like competing with Hammer. It has like a kind of like an early hammer feel to it. I like the storytelling of this one, and I dig the fuck out of that. Mm-hmm. About this movie, and you know, even like some of the cheesy effects of yog at the end, I fucking love that too. It kind of, yeah. it kind of reminds me of Golden Voyage of Sinbad and shit. You know, yes, <laughs> you know, with the you know that prophet thing that comes out of nowhere. But yeah, I dig this movie a lot. It's fun.
2: Yeah, uh, I I couldn't agree with you more. Like I said, had a great time with it. All right, last but definitely least, Mike, what do you got for me?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I had seen this before, but it's been a really long time. Details were pretty hazy, um, but watching it again for the show just reinforced why I remembered liking it. This one, it's really good. I, I agree with Derek. That it really kind of walks up to the line of being a hammer. Um, it all, you know, once we kind of explore um, the grandfather character and kind of the backstory behind that family, it even has like a little bit of shades of like folk horror in there, just because you know there's some kind of almost like pagan like uh, belief system. Um, I think the the kind of wacky cultish dream sequence. Know, we get um, when, is it Nancy, the the blonde yeah. lady, the main blonde lady? Mm-hmm. Uh, when she kind of gets put under the spell and all that, it, it kind of gave me shades of Rosemary's Baby, Polanski. Um, you you know, with all the weirdness where it's like you don't, I mean, Rosemary's Baby was a little more spelled out what they were doing just because of the plot of the movie. Uh-huh. But just the kind of weird weirdness, the the I guess, I don't even want to say creature, more like beast, (laughs) I guess (laughs) beast design, beast humanoid design, whatever was going on there. Um, It was, it was really unsettling. I I mean, you know, of course, looking through anything in a 21 or 2021 lens, um, it's probably not as horrific, but I can imagine like in 1970, watching this sequence in the crowd and just being like, well, what the hell is going on here? Like, what are, what the hell are they conjuring up and imagining for the, for this story? Um. But, yeah, I I like the story. I thought the characters in this kept me invested throughout the movie. I was 100%, 100% interested, you know, every time something new would happen. Or, you know, I like the conflict um, uh, between the grandfather, who's kind of like he, he's part of the cult, too. But he could understand, like, w- why he didn't like his grandson's ambition um or wilbur's ambition just because he's like we've tried it before you know and of course wilbur being the next generation is like i'm gonna do what you guys couldn't i'm gonna finish what you started all that kind of stuff and you know i thought it was uh very creative how they came up with the effects for you know i guess the the grand beast or whatever the entity is uh, referred to uh-huh. yeah i mean just because, you know, obviously in 1970, there's like the limitations of what you can do. But I, I felt like the way they did it made sense, almost like the psychedelic nature of, you know, what what they would kind of see. Um, and, yeah, I I highly recommend this movie. It's it's very good. And I, I think what pe- what sometimes misses people on this era of film is you know, despite any type of stereotypes when it comes to horror, I feel like th- this is an era of really good storytelling. Yeah, uh, th- the stories themselves are kind of what draw you in to where anything you think is lacking in other departments, it it almost doesn't matter because you're so invested in the story that, uh, you know, l- laughing, lacking in the ability for special effects or gore or whatnot, it really doesn't matter because you're so invested and interested in what's going to happen, how the story is going to play out that that's your focus on it. Everything, anything else that comes across well done is a bonus. And I think Dunwich Horror is a good example. It's, it's a it's a great movie to show someone to I would say like almost gateway them into this era if they're not familiar with movies. And like um again, like Derek said, because it's kind of touches on different subgenres of the time, it's it's kind of a movie that you could watch and depending on what elements of you like, you can go in that direction with like follow up movies. Um so yeah, man, Dunwich Horror is a fun one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um did you guys notice how during the dream sequences there was actually Vaseline smeared on the camera lens? Uh, <laughs> that's actually old, Yeah, exactly. That's actually an old trick to give uh, scenes a dreamlike quality. The problem is, is that with this production, they put it on way too thick to the point where you can actually see globs of Vaseline like streaked across the camera. Usually it's done a lot more carefully. Obviously, you know, it's a little bit maybe a lower budget film uh, being a horror film from the late 60s. So, you know, they they work with what they have. But, yeah, I just found that kind of funny that they overuse the Vaseline. And trust me, I can be accused of having overused the Vaseline in my use. So, yeah. Oh, yeah now but yeah um some cool little uh points of information about the film um there is a symbol that we see throughout the film on wilbur's ring on his grandfather's staff and also on various people's foreheads uh during certain rituals that symbol is actually a native american symbol has nothing to do with lovecraft or any kind of mysticism at all yeah, it is the yeah. Thunderbird in the sun. So for anybody interested, why that kind of
4: noticed that I was like, what the hell was there Native American? <laughs> exactly.
2: I, I, I wasn't 100 percent sure it was Native American, but I knew it didn't quite fit. Like, what does this have to do with, uh, you know, 1960s New England? It, it It just didn't fit. But yeah, after looking it up, there it is. Um, and then, unfortunately, this was the final uh, film for Ed Bagley Sr. Unfortunately, he died a couple of months after this film was released. Um, and, of course, most of us in our age uh, bracket are familiar with his son, Ed Bagley Jr., um, who's been in he's actually been in a couple of genre films, right? He was in Tales from the Hood. What else has he done? I could have sworn he's been in a couple of genre films, but Tales from the Hood's definitely the one that kind of sticks out at first. So like a
4: Stephen King something adaption, I thought, but
2: Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean Uh, What else? Oh, Mario Bava was originally uh, slated to um, direct this movie. Originally, this movie was slated to be done in 1962, to be released in 1963, but the project got delayed. And because of it, Mario Bava was no longer interested in doing the project when it came uh, time to start shooting in 1969. So uh, they went ahead with... uh, The man who ended up directing it, Mr. Daniel Haller. So still did an admirable job, though. I would love to see what Mario Bava would have done with this story. I feel I feel like it would have been absolutely epic. Um,
3: But Christopher Lee raping someone.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Um, Some of the actors who were supposed to play Wilbur Wheatley include David Carradine and Peter Fonda. Go figure. uh, Uh huh. Yeah, I I don't know about Peter Fonda. He's he's too much of a recognizable face and name to to play, you know, kind of an ambiguous character like Wilbur Waitley. Dean, I don't know. Um, He'd be rapey, though. He would, he's yeah.
4: psychedelic. They'd be into
2: that. Exactly. Peter Fonda probably would have had the eyes, the cool eyes like Dean Sackwell, but, eh, you know.
3: Imagine Peter Fonda with one of those rape mustaches, though. Oh,
1: and- <laughs>
2: Um, And the last thing is that this movie was released in New York City, uh, like I said, January 14th, 1970, as part of a double bill with Scream and Scream Again, so... A little bit of trivia there for you um yeah this movie man like i said i just um somebody mentioned i think it was mike mentioned how um in 2021 the effects here are a little silly but how this must have affected audiences like i said the i i, I truly agree with mike there that man some of these images are probably going to be shocking to people in 1970 um, especially if they're not used to Lovecraftian horror. I mean, I'm not sure how much Lovecraftian horror had been released up until 1970. I'm sure we had a few. But yeah, to, to this level of just cosmic craziness, uh, I'm not sure if we got anything like that before. So I could definitely see how this movie would affect people. Um Roger Corman was an executive producer on the film, so, you know, it definitely still has that gothic feel like some of the stuff that Corman did, um, his Poe adaptations. Um, that that could be why he was brought in as an executive producer to get a little bit more of that gothic feel to it than, say, the original story had. So um, definitely a good choice, I'd say. I mean, we all love Roger Corman, so the more we get to see his name, the better um before we move on anything else uh anybody else want to add any last minute things for the dunwich horror
3: no uh, uh i i do want to do some trivia because i actually seen one of yeah. the later remakes of this story oh the tv the, movie from 2009 the one with jeffrey combs
2: is that the one with uh where dean stockwell actually plays armitage yeah. Yeah, okay, uh, I have cool, seen that. that's
3: a cool that's a cool little fact.
1: <laughs> you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, the guy who played uh, Wilbur Waitley in this one comes back as Richard Armitage or Henry Armitage, excuse me, in the 2009 TV movie, which, you know, it is a TV movie, so you kind of know what to expect there, but it's still watchable. I liked it. Yeah. Good stuff. Definitely. All right, folks. So From the horrors of Dunwich, Massachusetts, we move on to, where is Wizard of Gore set? I don't even remember. Do they tell us what city it's in?
0: (laughs) Tromaville.
2: Tromaville. Oh, my God, how much do I wish? All right, so, so, like I said, we are now going to move on to 1970s The Wizard of Gore, written, directed, and produced By Herschel Gordon-Lewis, listeners of the Cinema Attack podcast may remember my guest spot when uh, Rebecca and Rebecca Reinhart and myself were on Derek's Herschel Gordon-Lewis tribute episode where we looked at the Blood Trilogy. And, you know, the Blood Trilogy is obviously going to show a lot of the kind of the high points of Herschel Gordon-Lewis's career with stuff like Blood Feast and 2000 Maniacs. Uh the third film in the trilogy maybe is a little bit lesser than the other two which is uh Color Me Blood Red but this is 1970s The Wizard of Gore um a, a talk show host a talk show hostess and her boyfriend investigate a shady m- magician who has the ability to hypnotize and control the thoughts of people in order to stage gory on-stage illusions using his powers of mind bending um I'm gonna go ahead and bring in uh, Mike. Uh, so, Mike, what you know? What's your experience first with Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, and then specifically with The Wizard of Gore?
0: Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, I've seen some. They're very interesting, very raw, <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: with interesting results. But they're always like an experience to watch. You know, um, yeah, he definitely has the reputation of the. Mar- Cobb stuff it usually some some dicey material um, as far as uh, Wizard of Gore itself this was a first time watch for me um, I i had heard this talked about before but had never got around to seeing it but I had a blast with this one as well one of the things I love the most about this one is kind of like the is he or isn't he aspect to doing it the whole time I actually went kind of back and forth a little bit towards the beginning of the movie just to see, you know is he just a clever magician or is he just straight-up murdering people on stage and just calling it a magic trick because it's funny because like through most of the entire time he does his quote-unquote tricks the audience is is totally just buying into it like that it's magic despite how gory it actually gets up on stage it doesn't really phase anybody in the crowd they're just like man this guy's great he what a awesome magician and I'm like as a viewer I'm just like uh, I don't know if this is a show but then like you know other other times I'm like hmm, maybe um, but I thought it was well done I, I love uh, do you remember Ray Sager Sager as Montag Montag the Magnificent um, I thought he was really good in this uh, he was pretty charismatic um, as a magician and uh, you know that's the type of personality you would kind of need to i guess draw in the audience to witnessing murder and them just kind of going along with it like you need someone that would be believable as this you know bigger than life personality as a magician so i think that that really works but yeah this uh for our first time watching i was totally into it loved it. i loved the story i uh, liked where it went um and the uh as we're kind of in the third act of it, when he kind of hypnotizes people through the TV and like did mm-hmm. it, it gave me a Halloween three season of the witch. I expected Atkins to like run in and tell everyone. The <laughs> <people>.
2: Yeah, <laughs> or most recently, uh, most recently the Cleansing Hour. Remember? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I thought that was I mean, that was what I thought of instantly when that when he started that gag. Uh, I'm like, oh, Cleansing Hour. And granted, just because it was a recent movie, but yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely something we've seen before, possessing people through the television. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, man, but I I had fun with this one. I think both these movies, especially this one being my first watch, is something I'm going to want to revisit for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm a huge Herschel Gordon Lewis fan. Uh, Derek and I both really just love his work. Uh, Love the documentary. I finally did get uh, Derek to get a chance to see that documentary. And you were right. It was amazing. And I will absolutely buy it very soon. Um, But yeah, uh, his a lot of people kind of look at him as just a gore hound. But there's there's all of his movies always have a certain extra element to them. Like 2000 maniacs had an element of comedy to it, you know, with the, with the redneck spirits and everything. It came off as kind of funny to any of like us Northerners who watch the movie Mm -hmm. or,
4: or Southerners. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, abs- yeah. Oh, and for Southerners, probably even more so because yeah. they're, they're kind of um, it's it's almost like a commentary on you know eighteen hundred Southerners and their mentalities and everything else. So a little bit of social commentary buried in there as well. You could say the same thing about Blood Feast with mm-hmm. um, you know with Flawed and you know the whole ritual that he's trying to perform. I will say that Herschel Gordon Lewis has a really good knack for picking awesome antagonists like mal arnold uh as thwad ramses in Bloodfeast. i absolutely love his frantic performance his his almost psychopathic eye movement throughout the film the way he interacts especially with women where it almost seems like he doesn't really know how to talk to women unless he's like pulling organs out of their body and it's the same thing with this one with ray sager or sager however you pronounce it as montag once again he finds this really oddball character that despite being an absolute creep somehow still has a lot of charisma to him Probably more so with Montag than even with Fawad, because Fawad was pretty much just a creepy guy trying to run a business. Um, Montag's obviously trying to entertain the masses, um, but I still I got to give Herschel Gordon credit for his casting always. And and of course, you know, I'll be I'll be a little bit of a misogynist. Um, Herschel Gordon always has really attractive women in his movies. I mean, considering that these are gore fests from the late 60s, I'm surprised that he's able to get uh, the attractiveness of uh, his female actresses that he's able to. So kudos there as well. Um, the gore. I mean, obviously, the gore is going to be the first and foremost thing that people talk about with Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, and this one is no different. I mean, the movie practically opens up with a gore scene, you know, uh, the, the famous uh, saw a woman in half trick, but instead he does it with an actual chainsaw and no <laughs> coffin, which definitely... At no point does he actually cut the woman in half, but we'll forgive him for that because in the movie, they actually say, you know, the woman was cut in half, even though we very clearly see that she's not, but again, we'll forgive that. Um, But this movie, I noticed as I'm watching it, this movie is basically a bunch of murder set pieces put together. Um, You've got four major uh, tricks that are done on stage that all kind of lead to the same result. Um for those who don't know basically uh Montag is performing magic tricks on uh female quote unquote volunteers technically they're not volunteers because he is actually hypnotizing them into coming on stage or hypnotizing their their like boyfriends or husbands to kind of get them to stand up and volunteer And he's basically performing these very gory tricks in one scene. He cuts a woman in half with a chainsaw in another scene. He drives a railroad spike into a woman's head and pulls out her brain matter from the open wound. So there, there's some very intense scenes here, but at the end of the day, that's how it felt to me. Like, like, Herschel Gordon, and I've said this before about his movies, he always kind of has a little bit of an issue weaving his narrative together. Um, If you look at his movies as a collection of set pieces, then you kind of appreciate You know, uh, the work that he did with his effects and his filmmaking and everything else. But when you're looking for like a cohesive narrative, I'm not saying that it's not there. I'm just saying that it doesn't feel like a movie with a beginning, middle and end so much as and especially Wizard of Gore, because of its incredibly ambiguous ending. Um, Yeah. You know, that ending definitely kind of leaves you scratching your head the first couple of times you watch it. Um, After a few viewings, you can kind of put your own kind of spin on the ending to get a satisfying ending, which I think most of us who have seen the movie more than once have done. But the first couple of times, it's definitely a head scratcher. And ultimately some of his movies are head scratchers in general, like 2000 maniacs basically ends as quickly as it started, um, you know, without really answering too many questions to the people in the film, we get our answers as the viewers, mind you, but the people in the film, should I say the survivors of the film generally, you know, don't really know what the hell happened or what's going on. So um, ultimately, like I said, I love Herschel Gordon. I love his movies. Uh, I think the man is an absolute joy to listen to when he does interviews. He has that kind of Lloyd Kaufman, Roger Corman enthusiasm about his films. Like when you watch Roger Corman speak, especially recently on uh, the last drive-in or uh, yeah, the last drive-in with Joe Bob, um, he still has that boy, that boy like giddiness when he's talking about making movies and as as was recently pointed out to me, the man is 93 years old, and he's still working on multiple projects right now. So, yeah, God bless uh, Roger Corman, uh, both for past and present. And like I said, I put Herschel Gordon right there. Obviously, Herschel didn't live as long, so his filmography is going to be a lot less than Roger Corman. Obviously, Roger Corman famously could make a movie cheap and fast, so his filmography is going to be pretty extensive, but... I mean, for the care that Herschel Gordon takes, it at the very least, in how he sets up his gags and then how he does the gore, uh, the man is an absolute legend, and I will continue to sing his praises. Um, let's go ahead and move to uh, Dubby. Dub, what do you got for me for The Wizard of Gore?
4: I mean, so right off the bat, anything like this, I'm going to kind of compare and contrast the double features. I think it's cool we kind of got antagonists in both films that are – trying to pull off something. They're not maybe a fake facade. Um, you know, th- there's some comparisons there, but I think their best features of the polar opposite where Dunwich horror, the best features about it was really the suggestiveness and the things you didn't see or things you thought you were seeing really just compelled it. This is just, you know, your visceral raw Herschel Gordon Lewis take on that. Um yeah, you you summed it up, man. Herschel Gordon Lewis is a B movie god at the end of the day, though. So he really, you just got to imagine seeing this there again in 1970. The gore factor and that kind of stuff was just amazing. Um, the plot points, yeah, I can see exactly where you're coming from because there's not a whole lot of plot here. It's basically <laughs> the same gag over and over the whole movie, oh. and that's you know the shock and the awe is the movie. It is schlock. It is what it's going for. It is tongue in cheek. You kind of got to accept it for what it is, but it's not great as far as character and pot, plot development. I probably wouldn't give it a high rating, but mm-hmm. it's still a fun Herschel B movie goodness right here.
1: Yeah,
2: and the echelon of, of just overall cinema, I'm not going to sit here and say this is a masterpiece, like a 10 out of 10 by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But if you are if you are a gore hound and you're a fan of low budget horror of any time period, be it the 60s or even modern day, Herschel Gordon really is uh, he deserves to be up on the Mount Rushmore of, you know, independent filmmaking, you know, guys like him, Roger Corman just absolutely deserve to be up there and. Every time you I watch one of his movies, even if it's not one of his more highly regarded ones um, like Wizard of Gore, Wizard of Gore technically isn't looked at as one of his best movies by any stretch. Most people tend to kind of lean on the Blood Trilogy, um, which is fine because ultimately the stories in those um, are a little bit more compelling than this one, because like I said, this one to me feels like just a series of set pieces with a little bit of police procedural uh thrown in in between some of the set pieces and that's pretty much the whole story so um but ultimately yeah i i always have a blast with this movie it's only 95 minutes long so you know it, it, he doesn't get long-winded with his ideas it's just a matter of how you take that ending you know if it's a positive or a negative look at how the finale kind of plays out but um uh, let's go to Derek for our final uh, general thoughts. What do you got for me, brother? The Wizard of Gore. Uh, Yeah,
3: this is a third time watch
2: for me for this one.
3: Uh, I, I dig it for the most part. I think he does kind of lean a little bit too much in those kill sequences in this one. And it just seems a little less authenticated in that sense. Because pretty much during that whole sword sequence, you can see that they're just fucking tensile swords. Because <laughs> they're all fucking bended and shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know, it's, like, it's a, like less is a little bit more, and I think they could have benefited just yes. not lingering on it too long. This might this shock somebody. I actually prefer the theatrical cut of Friday the 13th. Because when you just notice... Kevin Bacon's just wearing a rubber neck. It's like... yeah, You know, it's true. like... You know, it's like, what the fuck? I'd rather just watch the theatrical cut. Where just... Mm-hmm. You know, in that sense... I'm not saying it's not a bad thing, but, you know... Mm-hmm. But, you know... I kind of agree that... This movie is kind of like set pieces, but it's kind of... This kind of reminds me of Blood Feast the most out of all of them. Especially, you know, it has that set pieces... Throughout it, where you see mm-hmm. like him talking to one lady in the store and then he goes and does a kill then you get some police shit going on, then you get that fucking scene in Blood Feast where you know, after you killed the one girl, you hear the, the guy that's barely acting crying, I just loved her so much, you know, <laughs> you, know? Uh, you get kind of that style, but it's mostly I do kind of like the two leads though, I think they have a cute like relationship within the movie I just want to be famous, you know <laughs> I want him on my show. You know, it's kind of funny in that sense. I, yeah, you know, uh, this movie actually gets a lot of hate. It People, does. You know, and I don't think it's that bad at yeah. all. You know, it's, not his best, it's, but yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not that bad. A, you know, I think he came back to return to form a couple of years later with the Go Go Girls. Yep. Which is probably one of the best movies he's ever done, in my opinion. Yeah, you know,
4: the Uh-oh show. It's really yeah, good, man. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a good one too. But yeah, not his best, but definitely not his worst either.
2: Yeah, um, there was something that I wanted to point out with the kill scenes in this movie that I really, really like um some of the choices that he made. I don't know if you guys noticed, but the kill scenes almost seem to be set up. To kind of confuse the viewer in the sense of whenever there's actual blood on the screen, like whenever Montag is actually doing something awful to a person on screen, we get like, you know, we get like a high pitched kind of clarinet. Trumpet type score where it's like very high pitch, very screechy, almost adding to kind of the nightmare um, aspect of the whole thing. But then when the camera turns to the audience, the music stops instantly, which, and then this kind of goes back to Mike's original point where Mike was talking about how the people in the crowd don't really seem to be reacting to the violence that we're seeing on the, on the screen. Like, I'm pretty sure that even in Los Angeles, even if they were in in the biggest metropolitan area anywhere, people are going to question that shit. I mean, they're they're literally watching a woman get sawed in half with a chainsaw to the point that her entrails are getting pulled out, and Montag is sitting there playing with them and you know pulling them out one by one. Yet no one in the audience is really reacting. So my question is, does anybody else think? that maybe the audience wasn't seeing what we were seeing. Because especially, like, think about the sword scene. Every time they would show him jamming the sword down one of the girls, the score would be very high-pitched and screechy. We would hear screaming. We would hear the woman screaming. and But then as soon as it goes to a shot of just the girls with the swords down their throat but no blood showing uh again the score would stop it's almost like i don't know it's almost like all the stuff when the music when the really high pitched score is playing the audience isn't seeing that for some reason that's that's kind of how i took it because it doesn't yeah, make sense cuz they're under
4: hypnosis man that that's exactly how i took it as well
2: yeah yeah i'll go with that they're they're being yeah. hypnotized to not see the gore and i i honestly i thought it was brilliant because without montag actually having a a line in the movie where he explains that we kind of have to figure it out based on the filmmaking choices that he makes with the score and i just wanted to point that out that i think that's fucking brilliant like for for an indie low budget gore hound director he's able to do kill scenes that are actually very thought-provoking yes they're gory And I say the same thing with movies like a Serbian film. Yes, they're debaucherous. They have scenes in them that are hard to watch. But if you can get past the debauchery, there's some great filmmaking there under the surface. And I feel the same way with this. I'm not putting this on the same (coughs) scale as a Serbian film by any stretch. in either it's debauchery or it's quality filmmaking. Not at all. But it kind of reminds me of the same thing of like this is the type of movie that there's a certain kind of viewer that as soon as they see the gore, they don't give a shit. The, the movies just throw away garbage to them. Uh, same thing with a Serbian film. I can't tell you how many horror fans I've spoken to who say they'll get to that first horrible scene in a Serbian film and then just stopped watching it. Whereas I think the movie is brilliant. I love a Serbian film and I get a lot of dirty looks for that. I, I own two copies, two versions of the movie. Amen, um, brother. And I fucking love that movie has so much to say. The problem is, is that most horror fans will watch it and just chalk it up as debauchery, you know, just, you know, cruelty for cruelty's sake. But it's like, If you actually do some research on the Serbian film industry and on all the conflicts that have occurred in the first part of the 20th century in Serbia, a Serbian film makes a lot of fucking sense. There's a lot of subtext there. And I feel like The Wizard of Gore, maybe not on the same level, obviously, still has that same kind of cool filmmaking choices that make the, the viewer think. Like I said, they're thought provoking. So uh, I just wanted to point that out because I don't think enough people give Herschel Gordon Lewis credit for this. They see the gore and they just think he's a schlock director and that's it. But if you can get past the gore and really appreciate the filmmaking, I think there's a lot for cinephiles to take out of these movies.
3: Yeah, sure. I agree awesome. completely.
2: Nice. Um did it, it also bothered me that nobody in any of the shows, uh, the crowd, I mean, the people that were at Montag shows, nobody ever questioned why all his volunteers were catatonic. Anybody noticed that? Like these, yeah. these were these are Zombies. all women. Yeah. They were like talking to their boyfriends uh, in the crowd, like before the show started. But then as soon as the as soon as Montag calls them up, they're fucking vegetables. They don't say a word. They stare into the, 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 the middle distance and no one questions it and i'm just and even even during the final um trick when the cops were actually there because eventually the cops do figure out you know that all his victims are actually dying uh later on that evening um with the same injuries that they received during the show so even during that fourth gag when all the cops were there for the sword girls uh it's it still Uh, I'm not even sure what I'm trying to say specifically, but yeah, um, I just feel like I said, Herschel Gordon doesn't get the credit he deserves. So let's just throw that out there. Um, I like the way that they utilized all the nighttime scenes with the red filter, um, the the scenes where he steal the (laughs) bodies. Mm -hmm. again it gives it a surrealistic feel like is it reality is it actually happening is it not happening again um another great filmmaking choice by herschel or his editor whoever though i do think uh, yeah herschel edits his own movies so um it's definitely all on him but yeah the other thing i was going to say is that because i look at this movie as a series of set pieces did anybody else feel that the kills maybe were out of order in the sense that the fourth gag was the tamest of all of them, you know what I mean? Like the, the sword, sword gag. Yeah, yeah, the sword gag was like the weakest of the four between you know the chainsaw, the the railroad spike, and then of course the epic punch press, which uh, I it, I got it was
3: probably say, it was probably the easiest to show like the difference maybe what the audience is seeing.
2: Possibly, yeah. I I just felt like they. I just felt that by the time we get to the sword kill, the sword scene, we've already been so desensitized to the violence that it almost comes off as a little silly. Mm. Silly might be the wrong word, but I because as I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking here's the order I would have gone with. Um, The first kill has to still be it has to have a big punch because obviously it's going to be the first kill it's going to set the tone for the movie but it feels like
4: the last kill in
2: a way exactly I mean. they it feels like they it feels like they blew their load on the first kill scene Uh, The way I would have done it, I would have done the railroad spike first because that scene is still very shocking, Um, especially when you're, you know, in the probably when you're in the theater in 1970 and you're watching this movie about this magician. You don't expect him to drive a railroad spike through a woman's head and pull out her brain matter. So I I felt like they should have opened with that scene. Uh, The second gag should have been the sword. Uh, The third one should have been the chainsaw. And then give us the best and most original. I don't know about best. That's definitely a matter of opinion. The press. (laughs) But the press, that is one of the most original kill scenes I had seen up to then. Like, who the hell would have thought of a punch press (laughs) to kill someone on stage? They really should have saved that one for the fourth gag. And then they could have even done some kind of cool thing where the cop follows her. And then just out of nowhere, her insides just fall out or something. I don't know.
3: They, they cozy uh, her, like, lewd yeah, contamination.
2: <laughs> I just, like I said, I I felt like as I'm watching the sword scene, I'm just thinking, this is kind of tame for the fourth kill scene in the movie. And the one that's supposed to actually get the cops off their ass and actually start following these women home. I I don't know I just I I felt like they kind of blew their load too early with the chainsaw kill being first. That's just me though. Like I said.
1: Yeah,
3: I had the theory. It's probably just because it's the it's the easiest one to sh- actually do like an actual gag with it. Also, where they actually do stick these swords down this girl's throat and make it look like oh it's just a normal trick. Exactly. You, you know, like if they did the press. Oh, no, they just actually just killed somebody.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> and then know. that was another question I I, I was going to ask you guys, like, what is Montag's magic? Like, is it that he can hide the the horrible things that he did to these women temporarily until the injuries kind of rise up again later? Or is it that he's not actually killing these women when he does it on stage, but then later on through his "quote unquote" magic, uh, the effects actually take place? Like I was having, since they don't really explain Montag's power, it, I, I was a little confused on where the magic is. I, I don't know what you guys, if you guys had any thoughts on that.
3: I don't know. I try when magic's concerned. I try not to think of it because <laughs> you know ruins like, the illusion, man. <laughs> yeah,
2: a wizard did it. <laughs> well, like I said,
0: I was just yeah. You know, th- th- it seems like his magic is the ability to captivate an audience either through natural means or hypnotizing, putting them in a haze to where mm-hmm. they don't they don't buy into the fact that they're actually witnessing murder in front of their faces. Because yeah, I mean, the fact that he's actually killing them means okay, there's not magic in what he's actually doing to the women, uh, so the magic is almost. Being able to present it like a show, maybe yeah. like mind control, more
2: so.
3: They <laughs> keep them, and they can keep them like physically living until a certain time, and then they mm-hmm. just die. Like that's
2: yeah. what I was. I, that's what I was wondering. Like, is he is he hypnotizing the audience to not see the things that he's doing to these women, or is he not actually doing those things on stage? the The magic is that he's making us think he's doing. I, I don't things.
1: know. Yeah. The-
3: the scene of the movie is just like, was it even what we were watching fucking real?
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that kind of adds to a psychological factor of the movie, too, of, you know, is he actually doing all these horrible things? Because you would think using a punch press on a woman would leave a mess on the stage, but all the blood disappears. All the blood, all the guts, everything is back to normal, and it, it kind of leaves the, audi- the, the movie audience scratching their head, whereas it leaves the audience at the show uh just uh, like they applaud you know and i was just questioning like is are the people in the audience seeing the same thing that we as the movie viewers see or are they seeing something different that's why i kind of went back to the score thing too with the kill scenes it kind of makes me feel like yeah the audience isn't seeing what we're seeing they're seeing like a tamed bloodless version of what we're seeing and that's why they're not reacting. Because I can't imagine at least one w- woman in the audience wouldn't shriek when someone yeah. gets a fucking railroad spike jammed into their head. You know?
0: Well, like the cut the person in half trick. Like, yeah, because it's usually, you know, done when the person gets inside of a box and you cut down the box, or you cut down the middle of the box where there's a reasonable expectation. Where like, even if you can't a hundred percent explain how they do the trick you know that there's enough going on with her covering up the actual sawing part to where you're like okay it's you know illusion somehow but the way he presents it (laughs) it's like straight up just sawing her in front of your eye like there's nothing protecting an illusion there i mean it would have to be i don't even know how you could pull it off the way you know, like if if you were at like a legitimate magic show, but the way he did it, I'm like, how the hell would you be in the audience just all calm and like, oh look,
1: what a great show?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is great. Like, like even if it looked fake, I still would have reacted if I was in that audience. You know, I I just can't imagine not reacting to a woman's innards being pulled out of her body. You
3: know, uh, this, so, this is weird because actually this whole the whole idea for this movie came about was like he wanted to do like. Kind of like one of those torture theater shows that they used to do back in like the 1800s, mm-hmm. where they yeah, actually bizarre, killed yeah. people on stage. You know, <laughs> like
0: yeah, and I, I think part of the draw of magic too, like uh, like we're like we're talking like you know the grand settings like the copper, oh, I guess copperfield. I like he's different sure. people have different opinions, but you know oh, the, so watch a remake the of the big this theatrical of show. Yeah, um, part of the whole draw of magic is. You're not going to a magic show legitimately thinking magic's happening. It's just you're appreciating the skill it takes for sleight of hand and fooling you into thinking you're seeing something you're not. Now, if I was in the audience of The Wizard of Gore, I'm like, where's the, even the aspect of him fooling me? Because it looks like he's just
1: straight up doing it. The murder stuff. of people.
3: Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the swords yeah. and shit.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, you're really given the suspension of disbelief, like Dummy said, for her, for his act.
1: Well,
3: <laughs> well i, I got to ask a question now, and I think we're at that point. Yep. Because we have a regular end of this movie, but then we have, you know, where the Froze Montag into the fire. Ah, but, then, <laughs> but then we have the Lord of the Rings-style last end of this movie, where they might mirror a Nightmare city this bullshit.
2: Yeah, that... that uh, Let's talk about that first ending first. I mean, does anybody realize that Jack basically committed murder on live television and no one acknowledged it? Yeah,
1: I mean, he saved the I world. Cool. doing it. <laughs> I mean, he saved
2: the world, but no one had any proof that Montag was doing this stuff. Yes, we as the audience know that Montag is responsible. But in the real world, a cop isn't going to look at Jack and be like, oh, yeah, you did the right thing.
4: They're reviewing that footage. <laughs>
2: exactly. I mean, Jack flat out runs on stage, pushes Montag into a pyre, and burns him alive. And I'm just like, Jack just committed murder on television. What the fuck? And no one acknowledges it. But then we get that secondary ending, which uh, confuses matters even more. <laughs> uh,
3: when, I, I mean, When Jack just turns into Montag out of nowhere, like, what the fuck is going yeah. on?
2: They do the terrible face peel reveal of, uh, yeah, Jack is actually Montag underneath a face mask, underneath a Jack face mask, which, again, doesn't make sense because Montag is about half a foot taller than Jack. But whatever. I'm not going to fault him. But, I mean, what's your interpretation of that ending?
4: It was
3: all this full-blown Nightmare City. It was all a fucking dream.
2: Is that what you're thinking? Like, literally the whole thing was just a dream? Because right, like it goes just, back to
3: them in the studio, where, and they're in the audience. It was the yeah, prestige I mean, before the prestige.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it, oh, Well, kind I of questions, about. like,
0: yeah, does that go back to the title of the movie? He truly is, like, the Wizard of Gore, where we were strung along the whole time for the ride, and he was just that damn good of a wizard.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's definitely, um... A very odd little ending the first time you
3: see it. And then the chicks are talking still with
4: hamburger meat all over. <laughs> it's, the, it's the original April Fool's Day, man.
2: <laughs> I'm not dead. I'm That's actually not a bad way to look at it now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> it doesn't nullify the film as far as, you know, whether... Even if the events of the film never actually happened, it's not one of those things that it's going to ruin uh, your experience because... Even if that is the ending, I love this movie. I'm still very on board for it. Um, to this day, every time I watch it, I have a different interpretation of the ending, you know. Um, so, sometimes they're as wacky as, you know, um, "Sherry is a witch" or something. <laughs> I, I, I've had um, if, for anybody who doesn't know, I do imbibe in herbal pleasures. so sometimes my thought processes get a little twisted. And, yeah, I've watched this movie inebriated multiple times, and every time the ending has a different meaning to, to me. I'm not even sure what it had this time, so much as I was just taking notes um, and just trying to get all the major points I wanted to talk about on paper. But, man, yeah, to this day, after about a dozen watches, that ending still is like, hmm, okay. I guess it never happened. What's <laughs> in here, sorry. Yeah. Oh, man. But that's it, folks. That is 19. That is two movies from 1970 in a nutshell. Two of my favorites, obviously, since kind of we're looking at my year of birth. Um, These were two that kind of stuck out to me. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it for no more room in hell. Number 36. Uh, Mike, what do you got? Um,
0: pretty much other than this, we've just been churning out Fresh Cuts episodes pretty much on regular schedule, so the latest was Candyman, probably by the time you're listening to this episode, we will have had our next episode out, which we're doing that one on Netflix, what is it called again?
2: The Old Ways.
0: The Old Ways.
3: Oh, is that on Netflix? I was curious, because I wanted to watch that. Yeah. yeah. uh,
2: That's our next Fresh Cuts cool cool so watch it and join Um, us on monday or tuesday
0: tuesday (laughs) and yeah like i said i've been busy with you know other stuff but uh hopefully we'll be getting back to our regular schedule which means you know more of this show coming out get theme warriors back and rolling again um but, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I got. and I haven't really shown up on other things in the past few weeks, so I don't really have anything else to uh, direct people to. So what about you, ben?
2: Uh Pretty much same for me, mostly fresh cuts. I do have one new episode of It's Not Horror Okay that was recorded this past week. We looked at – what the hell did we watch this week? Oh God! We looked at Too Fast, Too Furious. Believe it or not, <laughs> oh, and, shit. And whatever it's worth, I'm a little upset Get because back. I, I was able to <laughs> go fifty plus years of my life never ever seeing a Fast and Furious movie, and then Heather goes and picks this movie for our commentary. We got family. Week. Man, that was the most closeted, bi-curious movie I think I've ever seen. The Longing sta- Paul Walker, and uh, what was the... not Tate Lee, Diggs. Chris. Yeah, Tate Diggs. I, I was convinced they were going to kiss multiple times. The Longing stares at each other. I Wow, it, w- it was the most under-the-hood gay movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and it so summer-
3: it's directed by John Singleton, too.
2: I'm not sure.
3: Yeah, that's the one directed by Singleton, the guy who directed Boys of the
2: (laughs) Like I said, this was my first Fast Furious movie. It was an interesting experience, so check out the commentary. Should be available sometime this week on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. Um, My latest guest spot is still the latest episode of Kill the Cast, where we look at streaming uh, horror movie streaming suggestions, as uh, it was a nice, easy little episode for Jerry Herring's comeback to podcasting. So that's available on Legion Podcasts. Um, And finally, I'm sure Derek will be happy about this. We can finally announce our latest project. It's been months in the making But uh, in two weeks from today, we will be recording the latest spinoff show in the No More Room in Hell network. Uh, This will be Derek, myself and Mr. Don who you guys probably know from Fresh Cuts. And before that, uh, the Graveyard Shit podcast, uh, (laughs) Horror Mafia, you know, in the past, blah, blah, blah. And what we are doing is No More Room in Hell presents creature comforts. Yes, we are going to be doing a podcast specifically about creature features. Nice. Uh, it'll be available on our same network, the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. That's darkdiscussions.com or dot net. I'm not sure, one of those. And then um, we're going to be looking for our first episode. We're going to be looking at the obvious choice for a creature feature: uh, the original King Kong from 1933, I believe, uh, so, uh, starring Fay Ray, of course. So yeah. Uh, so we'll introduce ourselves. You know, we'll kind of talk a little bit about our creature uh feature experience our love of the subgenre and everything else and then we'll get into our feature review of the original King Kong so look out for that um like I said uh we record in two weeks hopefully a little bit after that we'll go ahead and have that episode out so thank you Mike for uh letting us expand uh the brand where uh, this will not be the last "No More Room in Hell" podcast you see. We're going to try to build this thing out, and um, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe we'll finally do my porn podcast. <laughs> no, no more room in hell presen- presents dirty bits.
3: I might know a co-host <laughs> for you for that one. <laughs>
0: Venom's like I'm. I'm already practicing that show a lot. It's just when it becomes official, on <laughs> official <laughs> show.
2: <laughs> We've all been researching for like thirty plus years. So yeah, yeah. I think we're all good. But anyways, oh. yeah, uh, we can finally make the official announcement. Episode one. No more room in hell presents creature features. Look for it sometime in October. Cool. And that's it for me, folks.
4: Nice. All right, Derek, you're up.
2: Course, uh, you can find
3: me on my main show, Cinema Attack, which also will be soonly return in Celluloid Dissections Redux. Gotta get that out there soon. It'll be out there probably by the end of September, hopefully. We'll, we'll get the first episode, few episodes out for you with that. And also, you can find me, of course, there here. We're actually returning. Yeah, we actually set a date, Poltergeist. Show coming soon We're actually going to be doing it in two parts though Just easier to time it out And actually watch the movies So yeah, we're going to be doing Poltergeist 1 and 2 And then part 3 with the remake Oh boy (laughs) (laughs) Yeah So me Mm -hmm. and Lacey are going to be doing that And uh Yeah, that's about it I actually have a few guest appearances I want to talk about that are in the works I actually just did a commentary on
5: Skip to the Lou Ooh
3: with uh, on killer movie that was the first time watching me that movie, uh, and also I have a just recorded yesterday a guest appearance that's not out yet, but uh, I just recorded a new episode of the Friday Nightmares podcast where I joined Heather and Scott, and we did actually ironically enough it connects to what we were talking about uh, top five monsters in horror movies. Nice. Yeah, so it was good stuff, so check that out. It, it might be a little bit out early for if you're on the Legion Patreon. Uh, speaking of the Legion Patreon, I also have a sideshow there that I do with Mr. Gary Hill called Blood from the Core. We've got two episodes out now. We kind of took a break because we were getting busy with the Summer Series stuff, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm also going to be on the Summer Series, actually, 2016. Should be dropping uh, the Monday this sh- show is out, so look for that uh, where I try to represent Shin Godzilla to the death. Almost actually fight a Scotsman over it. So listen to that. <laughs> That's about it for me, Mikey.
0: Nice. Uh, Dubby, you got uh, anything going on you want to let people know about?
4: Well, so we hopefully want to even expand the Cinema brand even more. Of course, you can catch me with Cinema fellow co-host here, Derek. We pound it out every two weeks anyways. Um, but little side cast we're kind of working on is Horror's Hidden Gems. So I'd definitely like to have all you guys involved with that at some point. And we're going to have a segment I know you guys would be interested in just from the general conversation here. And basically 4-H camp, we do anything horror non-movies, so we'll be talking – comics toys and of course video games horror related so yeah if you want to guys want to come on there and talk on some horror games and some other horror related goodness so that's about it for us man uh keep looking for me here thanks again for having me i had a blast hope to join you guys again
0: hell yeah, yeah not only not only were you guests but you did it on such short notice like i was a little worried that like i think i mentioned it earlier in the show like i was like I hope you got prepared just for the different stuff because, you know, every podcast is different. Some it's like all we're talking about is the movies, some there's more stuff. So I was like, oh, man, I don't, I didn't, I was like looking back at the chat and I was like, I only think I mentioned like how this, sh- how like the show goes. But, man, whatever information you had, you blended in perfect. So that's why I'm the recruiter. Come. I'm the
1: recruiter, Mike. <laughs> I'm the recruiter. recruiter. Next you time I'll have job. a little more
4: notice, so I'll, I'll hopefully be more prepared, guys. But uh, thanks again, it was yeah. awesome. No problem. No,
3: man. Thank
2: you, buddy. It was awesome.
3: Yeah. And, uh, next episode, guys, it's mine.
2: Uh oh, nice Derek's man. picks. What country are we going to this time?
3: <laughs> uh, we're actually staying in the seventies, Venom. Oh. We're gonna go look at two uh, UK films that I actually love that I don't really hear shows about we're going to be doing tower of evil from 1972 and uh actually 1974 film from one of my favorite directors Pete walker frightmare
1: oh it looks right there uh, yeah. yes great great <laughs>
3: show awesome cool. yeah so i think that will be a great show
0: oh, mike have yeah. you seen any of these uh, i those are actually two i have not
3: oh good so this is gonna be a good show man because i'm gonna open your mind
0: Hell yeah, I'm ready. But, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. I think we're going to try to get another episode out in September. I mean, we managed to keep this one on schedule. It's, you know, very beginning. So as long as nothing uh, forces us to postpone, I would say uh, middle of September probably we'll be recording again, get back to that bi weekly if possible, schedule of outputting episodes but uh you know before we get hired just one last thanks to Debbie. welcome back anytime man i always tell people if you come back a second time we'll try to let you make the movie picks just kind of like incentive to come back so awesome uh, looking forward to that down the road Yeah,
3: hopefully somebody actually takes us up on that <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's just, it, it's you know, guests, it's becoming harder. I, I feel like everyone's getting older, just everyone's it, free time is, like, you less know, and less. You know what
3: we should actually do? We should be like, you know, it might be my turn, but maybe we should go to a guest and see what they want to do <laughs> and yeah, have them return. Yeah. You
1: know,
3: you know? Yeah. We might have to start doing that to get more people to come back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I know some of the guests we've had are willing to come back. It's mostly just, like, scheduling, because since yeah. this tends to be more than just watching the movies it's it's more of everyone's time so sometimes it's just working out and then a lot of the people we have on they got so much going on with their own stuff it's just finding
3: that's true too
0: (laughs) but anyways yeah thanks everyone for listening that's episode 36 and we will catch you next time everyone say bye
3: goodbye remember stay away from those guys with mustaches
2: Avoid rape stashes and unimaginable horror as much as you can. Hail Satan! Adios.